promised you, Tommy, because I promised the world that tonight the truth would be told. Shut up. What are you talking about? I'll drop you right now. Huh? Tommy, you can blast me all you want, Mr. Hardcore, because if you can't take the truth, you ain't hardcore. Tommy Dreamer, when we were driving down the road, sucking down cold beers, and you were crying, franchise, why won't Bula take the test? Why can't I see the test? It's not because of any other reason, but she was not pregnant. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to April of 1996 for Volume 3 of this month's show. Volume 1 is your WWF show looking at In Your House. Volume 2 is your WCW show looking at all things WCW. No, pe- no pay-per-view this month. We've got a lot of TV to cover. We're here for Volume 3. We're looking at ECW and Hostile City Showdown. I'm being joined firstly by Kieran Mitchell. Kieran, hello. Hello, Bob. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, mate. And Delmio. Hi Bob, nice to be back in the land of Philadelphia. No problem at all, Del kicks off with the news. Yep, first up Bob, um, ECW produced what's very likely the first lesbian angle in all of professional wrestling this month, revealing Bill McGillicutty had been cheating in Tommy Dreamer with none other than Kimona I Wanna Leia. Um, the angle also revealed Bill's pregnancy to be a hoax and ended with the two women kissing before Tommy kissed them both. Um, the angle took place at the Hostile City Showdown event, and that was on April 20th. The main event that immediately followed the angle saw Raven retain his ECW title over the franchise Shane Douglas. Raven won the match after using a loaded boot, a gimmick based on real-life foot problems relating to misaligned bones that may require surgery. This has played itself out on television with Raven limping through main event matches and even having a doctor saying he shouldn't wrestle anymore. His programme with Douglas seems to be over for now, with an angle at the end of Hostile City Showdown moving Douglas into a feud with Too Cold Scorpio. And Hostile City Showdown featured another excellent match between Sabu and Rob Van Dam. Otherwise, it was an evening pretty much dominated by arena-wide brawls. Um, we did see Taz defeat WCW's Devin Storm. Um, Dangerous Devin seems to apparently be done with WCW. Apparently, he's not worked enough dates. And primetime Brian Lee, formerly the Underfaker, he defeated Tommy Dreamer thanks to help from the Bruise Brothers. Um, Lee smashed a, a steel chair and a cinder block onto Dreamer's crotch at the end of the match. Um, there are also wins for Axel Rotten, Mikey Whipwreck and the team of Two Cold Scorpio and the Bruise Brothers. Another big angle on the show featured a pair of pull-apart brawls between the gangsters and the eliminators in a storyline being promoted as one of the most violent in the promotion's history. Each of the brawls involved one team calling out the other before a lengthy battle was ended by the ECW locker room. On the final TV of the month, the story was progressed further by the gangsters tagging the Eliminators' belts with spray paint. That show concluded with the Eliminators attacking the gangsters. They sprayed them with spray paint, marking them with an X. 
And lastly, just in case we didn't have enough already, we've got a new member of the Dudley clan this month. It's a, an almost preacher-like character based off apparently Samuel L. Jackson's character Jules in Pulp Fiction. He's going to be called Devon Dudley. Um, well, Devon and Bubba did team on the, the Hostel City Showdown in a no contest. JT Smith was ruled out of the show after Devon hit him so hard with a steel chair in New York. His ears were still ringing the following week. Not day, but week. Um, also, the Bruce Brothers were suspended for three weeks after, believe it or not, throwing a chair deliberately into the crowd following the match and hitting a fan. Something Rob Van Dam also managed to do, although his was by accident. Um, and finally, it said that there's no rush to get ECW onto pay-per-view. Paul Heyman was recently quoted as saying he wants to do it when the time is right. And perhaps the biggest news of all this month, not that it's strategically, a, specifically a news story, was that there was an actual tag team match on ECW TV. Like an actual tag team match. We'll come to that in a bit. Uh, yes, yeah, so we've got a few weeks of hardcore TV to go through first, and then we'll move on to Hostile City Showdown. Uh, we open up on April 2nd with a promo from Damien Kane. He gets drowned out by Shut the Fuck Up chant. Kane says the bad crew let him down, so he's declaring himself the godfather of extreme. The fans are now chanting asshole at him. He's hosting a sit-in until he gets an opponent. El Puerto Ricano comes out and Kane kicks his ass. We get an arena-wide We Want Sandman chant. Kane disposes of Ricano. Then out comes Mikey Whitrack. Mikey puts him away with a Frankie Mikey from the top. Steve Richards is out with some, actual, some actual surgery to an injury uh, to his orbital bone. Replacing him alongside the Blue Meanie is Stone Cold Chad Austin. They're facing the gangsters. The gangsters beat the piss out of the pair. New Jack finishes the job with a flying splash from the top onto a chair. Do you motherfuckers think this is entertainment? You go back and talk to that punk bitch and ask him if he's being entertained. New Jack then challenges the Eliminators to a tag title match. We get an Eliminator squash. Saturn accepts the challenge. New Jack and Mustafa storm out and clear the ring with the aid of a nightstick and the brawl goes into the crowd. Mustafa pile drives Cronus on the stage. Later he eats a total elimination in the same place as the Eliminators take hold, beating down New Jack 2-1 in the middle of the ring. They sandwich New Jack vertically between two tables, take the tables together, then hit the total elimination on New Jack, which was quite the spot. Masaka gets help to the back. Joey Starr says the next time these two teams reconvene, they may not be able to air it. Uh, Dale, we're going to be talking about this a lot during the month, so I'll, I will mm. leave your focus specifically on the bit, the total elimination sandwiched between two tables. I thought that was tremendous. They're, uh, they're quite good at a visual, um, in Philadelphia. It's been a while for I've been on the show. It's, the roster's a bit different, um, these days with departures, but they can still pull off these, these kind of five second spots that just, you don't see them anywhere else, whether it's kind of people getting hung for a, hung for a balcony, whether it's kind of Tommy Dreamer and getting 10 cane shots and this, the gangsters just delivered another one. It's, it's almost hard to describe with it been able to kind of see the visual attached to it but they've certainly come on leaps and bounds for the last time I've seen them and it's just kind of getting gaffer tape, getting electric tape and tying tables onto people and then hitting the total elimination, it just it puts a, a, puts a move that's already over to the nines just up another notch Kieran? It's, e- it's easily, like it's already for me Bob, it's already the best finisher in the promotion 
and then to see them actually like I always always mention with ECW shows there's always a sense of one upmanship and I never ever thought I'd see that finisher actually like like Dell alluded to actually being it's they've one up themselves. I think that's an absolutely fantastic spot that. Yeah. And sort of similar to that, the the Bruise Brothers, I'm sure we'll mention it later. I actually quite enjoy I think or oh, was it in the T V I can't quite remember, but they have a spot where they use the two chairs with the double boot as well. Not quite as good, but I, you can sort of see maybe that with the roster going a certain way, they're trying to, you know, do other things with the wrestlers. I'm trying, trying to innovate with what yeah. they've got, I think. The, the spot you're referring to is going to come up in the Tommy Dreamer primetime Brian Lee match. We'll come to that during our Hostile City Showdown review. Styles announces the departure of Brian Pillman, but he says he will be given the opportunity, if he chooses to, to return to face Shane Douglas in the ring. Obviously, this was all filmed and aired before Pillman's accident. You can hear more about that in volume two of this month's show. Bubba's had enough. Nobody gives a rat's ass what your name is. True enough. My name is Despicable. Okay, Taz, let's have it your way. Let's wrestle, you son of a bitch. Next up is Bubba Ray Dudley against Taz. Alfonso mocks Bubba's speech impediment. Bubba tries to introduce himself, stutters, then Taz letters him with a slap. Bubba then says, Okay, Taz, let's have it your way. Let's wrestle you, son of a bitch. This match is surprisingly even, with Bubba getting cut off by Alfonso at one stage. Bubba misses a splash, Taz hits a T-bone Taz flex, then locks in the Taz mission, and that will do that. Other members of the Dudley clan run off Taz, then Big Dick pops up uh, Alfonso for a press slam. Alfonso, during all of this, is still blowing his whistle. Taz takes Big Dick out by the knee and starts attacking him before putting him in a leg lock. Sign Guy climbs in the ring with a chair, falls over and then gets hit with it. The ring is a devastation of Dudley's. Taz says it doesn't matter how big they are, they're all going to end up just like another, just another victim. The fans chant Sabu as the segment ends. We're going to discuss more about Taz when we get to his uh, match with Devon Storm on the show. Uh, during the end of show montage, we get a doctor showing x-rays of Raven's foot, screwed and stapled together. The doc recommends he doesn't wrestle anymore, but it looks like he will. We start April the 9th with Raven coming out to the ring, flanked by the Bruce Brothers, Kimono Wanalea, and foot and ankle specialist Dr. Mark Allen. Allen describes Raven's foot as, quote, looking like Humpty Dumpty. Sandman walks out during the segment. He starts talking to the doctor, but Raven gets a cheap shot in. The Bruce Brothers go after Sandman. Out comes Douglas, but he gets beaten up too. Then Dreamer, and we start a three-way brawl. Dreamer puts Raven in the figure four. Raven seemed to submit. Not that that happened. Then out came Brian Lee, fake Undertaker, as Dell mentioned, and he started beating up Dreamer. 
We cut backstage to Raven in the locker room. They're teasing a six-man tag against Sandman, Dreamer and Douglas. Brian Lee wants in to replace Raven. Even Kimona does. She will do anything for him. Eventually we get Raven limping out to the ring for a fight. The heels make their way out to the ring. The light goes out, the lights go out, and the three faces appear high in different parts of the ECW arena, basically on uh, Douglas and the Eagles Nest and Dreamer and Sam Amarin raised balconies at other parts of the place. Um Steve Richards then goes up by Sandman and nails him with a chair hard, he hit him so hard the chair broke, and a brawl gets underway. Raven stays in the ring as the carnage unravels outside. Meanie is involved too at this stage. In the ring, Dreamer hits a neck breaker on one of the Bruise Brothers and, uh, while having a steel chair wrapped around his neck. And perhaps for the first time in two years in the ECW arena, an actual bona fide tag team match <laughs> threatens to break out. Dreamer gets uh, thrown hard onto a table, but not through it. Raven sees the, uh, to that shoulder, charging him through it. I swear that this has turned into a literal tag match with people actually tagging in and out and other people actually standing on the apron. Tommy Dreamer then gets the first hot tag in ECW history. Shane Douglas unloads on the Bruise Brothers. The fans whip up a We Want Sandman chant. Sandman, for what it's worth, actually just seems to have disappeared. Sandman returns. This goes on for an absolute age, this match. It's about 25 minutes. Uh, Sandman tags in and cleans house with a cane. The match breaks down into an arena-wide brawl. We get by the bleachers. Douglas jumps down towards the concession stand, but the table he intended to land on appeared to break. They start brawling with a steel door. Yes, a steel door. That gets thrown into the ring. I say yes, steel doors. That's what they were calling it anyway. Uh, that door gets up into the ring and Dreamer pile drivers Raven onto it. He gets a two before one of the Harris brothers breaks up the pin. Sandman drops a leg drop from the top on Raven. That's probably in the middle of Sandman's leg drops in terms of how good it looks. Uh, but pulls out of the pin in an attempt to save Dreamer from the Bruce brothers who are about to crotch him on the turnbuckle. The Bruce Brothers go after Sandman. Douglas doesn't save Sandman. Instead, it takes the pin on Raven. They win the match, but the heels dominate the post-match until Beulah jumps on Raven's shoulders. The Harris Brothers hold up Beulah. Even Kimona tries to stop Raven, but Raven punches her. Dreamer then cleans house of the chair and hugs Beulah. Kieran, talk me through this. I was just begging them to get to the ring, not because I thought they were going to have like a tag match, but... It was like sometimes the camera would miss stuff and I was just getting a bit bored. And then, like you said, Bob, it sort of, for want of a better phrase, it sort of hits its stride where we actually get like some good in-ring stuff. Then we get the brawl outside. It was just a bit too long. The ending was a bit meh. But for for saving, for take off the beginning of it, I actually really enjoyed it, to be fair. Don't. um, slightly different for Kieran. I did, I think the finish was pretty decent. Um, one of the, the highlights of ECW is they can, they can take these matches that for a live audience are maybe drawn out, but then when you watch it in hardcore TV on a Tuesday night, it, 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 it kind of gets cut, smart editing, there's, there's quick cuts. You get Joey Styles there. I thought the, the start of it when they were introducing the, the three apart, well, good guys, I suppose, but it is ECW. Was pretty innovative, um, but as Kim said, it just it, it dragged on, and it's like when you get people in a a roster that we've seen before, like a Benoit, a Guerrero, or a Malenko, or people like that, you can you can quite easily sit and watch half an hour. I mean, belt to belt, this must have been about that, and it was just 
when you when you see a half hour match, you've kind of got some kind of misgivings about it. When you see that it's got the fucking Sandman in it, you <laughs> kind of wonder. But I, I don't know. It, 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 it filled a it filled an episode of Hardcore TV, but there was some good stuff in it. Yeah, it wasn't a. It wasn't a bad match. It was probably too long, but I think if you'd have said to me you're going to get a tag team match involving these six guys that's going to go 25 minutes, I probably would have accept, expected something a lot worse. Um, but yeah, the action was okay. I mean, Kieran, I guess the bigger question is, it, it, it's the flip side of the whole every tag team match is an arena-wide brawl. Why were they observing tags? I... I honestly, I, again, I think it's because maybe, I mean, they're, they're actually just, along with what we said about those innovative finishes, maybe they're just, there's a bit more of a back-to-basic approach. But I don't know so much. But, but I think you've got to, you, you owe a duty for a, for a promotion like ECW that prides himself on detail level. If you're going to have a tag team match in a main event, we are at the stage now where you owe a duty to the people that watch your show to explain it. And that's a weird situation to be in. Yeah. Me, me expecting rationale behind an actual tag match. But we've gone so long without one, or it feels like it. It didn't make any sense. Why was Douglas waiting for a tag for, uh, from Dreamer to be able to help yeah, him out? Well, I mean, that goes to, um, that was going to be what my next point was just following what Dell said about them being, you know, the quote unquote good guys. It's like, I kind of knew already that there was going to be, you know, it's ECW, so there's shenanigans, whatever, but there's no way Douglas is going to go along with it. So, although they did go to like sort of straight tag team stuff, you almost, it was almost, Stupid to do it in a way. It's kind of hard to process what the, you know, what they were thinking really. No? I don't think I can really disagree with, with Mr. Mitchell there. Um, it, it kind of goes so far up the, up the way of kind of how ECW works. It kind of shows up kind of like the opposite of WCW almost when, how many months do we spend giving out about the rules because they enforce the rules? And then they mess the rules up. This was like the opposite. It's like there usually is no rules, but then everybody's just being. It was strange, as you say, without it being kind of explained in the setup. Or oh, this is going to be, I don't know, if anybody if anybody seen breaking a rule, they're out of the building, something like that. Or it, it just didn't. As strange as you say, try to explain a an actual match with an actual rule and an actual tag. Actually, I don't know what was strange for me. And it's I not mean, e- it's not even like they were observed within the same match. It, mm. it, it started out as a brawl, we formed <laughs> yeah. a tag match, it broke down, we reformed the tag match, and then it broke down. Kieran, I, I, I still can't really make any sense of this. No, but, but I'm just thinking, just maybe for a bit of context, all they needed to do was maybe have like a common goal promo between Douglas... Sandman and Dream, whether people buy it or not, is down to the wrestlers to get it over because that's their job. But all it needed for me was just to give it some context. So just have, you know, Douglas, Sandman and Dreamer get together and say to each other, look lads, you know, I don't like you, I hate your guts, you're a bit of a twat, but maybe if we like get together we can sort of try and sort Raven and his flock out or whatever. Just, just something to give it a bit of Meaning, because otherwise I sort of knew what was going to happen and it didn't really make much sense. Maybe. 
and and then Dell, we, we come to the finish. Um, I quite liked it. I think it was one of those ideas that was so complicated on paper. Pulling it off was kind of like a hail mary, trying to get it mm. right. But it's one of those things where. I'll let them fill in the gaps and I'll let them take credit for ha- perhaps a slightly more solid story than they actually presented. It was in the sense that they were making a big deal out of Sandman saving Dreamer, which in itself is quite a big jump. Yeah. But equally, it wasn't like the Bruce Brothers had Dreamer in a massively compromising situation. No, I would not want to be slid bollock first towards a turnbuckle, <laughs> nor would I want my legs to be rammed into them. Fair enough. But it's not like that's a spot we don't see on most ECW shows. It didn't seem all that, you know, warranting of, of Sandman giving up a winning position. But, Dale, can, can we can we overlook that, Dale, and give them credit for the story they're told? I think there's there's several unwritten rules as part of this promotion, and I think there's several unwritten rules as part of this project as well. Well, for we go with we go with stuff based on the heritage that's there. Um, we always say it when we're reviewing pay-per-views; they get reviewed different. Whether it's a, a WrestleMania or an In Your House, if it's a Starcade or a Class of the Champions, we CW they they kind of build their own. They build their own legacy based on what they can get away with. Um, you'll see Sandman and kind of pretty rotten matches, but with the entrance, it doesn't really matter. You'll see previously the likes of a, a Cactus Jack, now Mankind in WWF, where he'll get away with things and promos that'll explain maybe some of the matches that aren't quite as good. When, when this company can deliver what it does, I think you certainly get a bit of, you get a bit of leeway in that, and I'm, I'm willing to go with it. As I say, the, the finish, I don't know whether it merited the kind of 23, 24 minutes that went before it, but I'm, I'm willing to give them a bye. Okay. Yeah, I, it just felt like too, again, it just felt like too much of a stretch. On the flip side, I sort of know that this team isn't going to get on or whatever. But by the same token, I kind of liked seeing Sandman do it, but it was just too much of a stretch. That's that's. But it didn't take away. I did actually... It doesn't take away from the match for me. The bits that I did like, I really liked in this match. It was just a bit too long. Like I said, it didn't really make much sense, and it was just a bit of a stretch at the end. And like you said, they needed to get Dreamer into... If they were going to do that, they needed to put Dreamer in sort of a life-or-death type scenario. I don't, I don't really know how he'd do it, but it was just seemed a bit of a stretch, that was all. Yeah, I mean, you almost would have want not that... You know, not that it could have been the Eliminators, but you almost would have wanted Dream in a situation where he was about to get the total elimination finisher, that kind of thing, a move mm. they built up to that level. I guess my bigger problem was is that they never really explained why winning this match really mattered. Like, it, I, I think for that kind of angle to work, you need a match where there's something on the line. It can't just be a match. You know, we spent... 18 months having Dream and not being able to pin Raven. Now, okay, there's always a reason why. But equally, by this point, like, shouldn't you, if, if the results really matter, shouldn't Dreamer have just given up? Yeah, we're so far into it. I guess my bigger problem wasn't necessarily the story they're told. It was more that I don't know what Sandman was giving up. Like, what, what, what did, what did Sandman, Dreamer, and Douglas achieve by winning, even via Douglas? that made Sandman's sacrifice worthwhile beforehand. If they'd have lost after Sandman's sacrifice, 
what would losing have really mattered beyond just the prize of losing just for the sake of a match? Maybe we're doing too much on just mm. a bit, a match on a show, but they tried to sell a story here. They got about 70% of the way there. We open up on April the 16th on Hardcore TV with Kenny Albert interviewing Shane Douglas in Madison Square Garden. Douglas says the ECW arena is more famous than MSG. It's the new mecca of professional wrestling. I told Shawn Michaels and the rest of the clique to come to the ECW arena and I'd set them straight. Douglas says he's come to New York to find the WWF wrestlers. We get highlights from the New York show. We see the debut of Devon Dudley. He leathers JT Smith over the head with a chair, breaking it in the process. He also leathers Little Guido with a shot too. JT gets gobby on the mic afterwards and then gets attacked again. Mikey Whitrex sends Sabu from the top rope crashing through a table on the floor. We get a repeat of Sabu's ludicrous flip dive spot over the guardrail. Once again, he goes crashing through a vacant table. Sabu eventually picks up the win with a hurricane runner from the top. Taz walks to the ring, flanked by bodyguards for a quote-unquote shoot fight with Chris Jericho. Bel Alfonso gets handcuffed to Todd Gorn to stop him interfering. Alfonso gets freed after Taz, a Taz trainer grabs the keys off of a fallen ref. Alfonso hits Jericho with a chair and Jericho loses by submission. That was a bit shit. Gordon <laughs> tries to break up the ref, but the martial artist hits him with a chair and then puts Gordon in the Taz mission. Um, Del, yeah, like, I, I think you, you might look at this concept, you might even listen to this concept and think it might be quite good, but I kind of felt like they had a decent idea and then tried yeah. to make it about four times more complicated than it should have been. The, um, I've seen the results before I've seen the tape I was actually quite excited about it I've not seen a lot of this Jericho fella but um, Taz in a shoot fight environment that I, I was all in um, I started watching the highlights on Hardcore TV and there's fucking suplexes in it it's like come on mate come on this is a smart crowd they read their sheets they've been watching for years they know what the story is they probably watch UFC, they probably know what a shoot fight looks like. Yep, and uh, have you ever noticed in the UFC that you get elevation above the head with the victim? Not quite that, because the fucking victim jumps in a suplex. It's, come on, it's basic stuff. And it's like, you get a takedown, you just grab them and pull them to the mat, you don't lift them over your head. And it's like, oh, come on, at that, at that point I was just, I'm out. Kieran? Uh, why, well, why even bother saying the word shoot? What, what's the, again, you just think, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do something different, just stick with it. I, I, just, I just don't think that this was maybe. I just don't think you should present a shoot fight on a wrestling show. No, it's because just going what, against. What's every, what, what else are we watching? If this is a real fight, what's everything else? If, yeah. <laughs> It, like, it, I haven't even this, thought of it. There you go, Bob. That's that's that encompasses everything. If, if you, this is an actual yeah. fight, what else are we watching? Why why even bother with the rest of the show? Like, sh- shouldn't they all be shoot fights? Like you said, Bob, by professional wrestling promotion presenting a shoot fight, aren't and especially ECW, aren't they then sort of saying all these guys getting hit with like food mixers and steel doors and fridges? Aren't they sort of saying, well, no, that's a load of crap because this is a shoot. I don't, I don't really understand. Yeah, I mean, it's like one of those things that, that the rationale might be, well, that we've got a smart enough crowd to know what 
wrestling's about so we can call it a shoot fight and they'll think it's different but it's like nobody believes this is a shoot fight like nobody does i don't know i don't know all a bit weird we get a promo from the dudleys devon says thou shall not kill thou shall not steal and thou shall not fuck with the dudleys the eliminators pull off a brutal squash before calling out the gangsters the gangsters get on top in a brief battle before the locker room empties to break it up that won't be the last time that happens this month lou jack levels a cop and both gangsters end up getting cuffed we get to the main event the same three-way from last month without the gangsters who are in jail one of the headhunters it's a moonsault to sound man on the table except he overshoots and the table doesn't break the gangsters are back despite still being cuffed out come the eliminators next who lay waste to the gangsters with chair and a total elimination on mustafa that hit finishes them and the clip finishes with them holding x signs up to the camera don't know why I call that the main event. We've got another match. Uh, we see the entrance of R- Richards, Raven and the Blue Meanie. They're mi- uh, mimicking Diesel and Shawn Michaels. Well, Richards and Meanie are anyway. Richards is wearing an ice hockey style mask. A woman jumps in the ring and makes out with Meanie and covers his chest in whipped cream before kissing him. No, I did not make that sentence up. <laughs> Raven breaks it up, angry at the woman. He then gestures oh. towards Kimona before slapping her to the mat. Then Richards starts laying the boots in. They're saying Kimona wants revenge and is going to cost Raven his title at Hostile City Showdown. We then see the Bruce Brothers and Brian Lee against Dreamer and the Pitbulls. The brawl spills quickly into the street. Sorry, Lee gets a super bomb for his troubles. Raven breaks it up by hitting Dreamer with a chair, then a DDT. Dreamer takes a double drop kick with chairs held up to both sides of his face. Sorry, Kieran, you were right. That was on uh, that was on Hardcore TV, not the show. And that's enough for the win. They lay Raven on a table, and Dreamer volunteers to be super bombed through it, uh, through through Raven through the table, which I actually thought was brilliant. Um, although ECW, for a company that likes to innovate, that does seem a little bit similar to what the Public Enemy have been doing. I actually don't know when this was taped, so they might be alright, actually. Uh, we get the closing montage after a promo from Douglas. He unveils Kimona, who says she's going to expose Raven. And we will move on to Hostile City Showdown 1996. Dell, you can kick us off with the results. Yep, first up, Bob, we've got El Puerto Ricano, and he was fighting Supernova and ended in a no contest. Mikey Whitbreck defeated Billy Black. The Dudley Boys, which was Bubba Ray and Devon, they were obviously accompanied with Dances with Dudley, Singai, Dudley, Chubby and Big Dick. They fought the Pitbulls to a no contest. Pitbull 1 and 2 with Francine. Taz, with Bill Alfonso, defeated Devin Storm. Axel Rotten beat Little Guido with J.T. Smith. Tuchel Scorpio and the Sandman. The Sandman now accompanied with Missy Hyatt. They beat the Bruce Brothers, which was Ron and Don Harris. Brian Lee defeated Tommy Dreamer. Sabu, match in the night, defeated Rob Bam Dam. And Raven defended his ECW World Heavyweight Championship against Shane Douglas. Raven with Stevie Richards and the Blue Mini. Douglas with Kimona. I will just preempt what we uh, what we reviewed tonight by saying that uh, the copy of the tape we're reviewing didn't have the Mikey Whitbreck match on it, so we won't be covering that. Kieran, what do you think of this show? Um, I kind of alluded to it before. I think I've reached a bit of a plateau, if for want of a better word, with ECW. It just felt like. It might have been my imagination, but this felt like too many brawls. There was one, there's obviously one stand-up match, which Dell has called, called out already, which was the Sabu Van Damme match. 
Um, everything else, it just either, there's a couple of no contests, there's a count out, it just felt too many brawls, so, sort of overall, I just, mm, I'm not, not too big on it, but we'll get into it. No. Um, kind of two-edged sword for me, Bob, I totally agree with Kieran, very brawl heavy, very, almost, not really non-finish, but kind of lazy booking at the end of matches, but then if you look back to, Last year, um, just off the top of my head, I think you'd, what, Public Enemy were in it, no longer there, 911, I think you'd Rowan Simmons, Terry Funk, uh, what was there, Guerrero and Malenko, I think was in it as well, I mean, you're talking a, a roster that's very, very different this year, as I said at the start, um, you could almost say the more things change, the more they stay the same, with all the, the brawls that was in this, but, as I say, we're going to come on to the semi-main with, with Sabu and Rob Van Dam. It could be very much worse if it wasn't for that match. Yeah, um, I may have just been watching ECW for too long, but this show felt... I, I, I feel like they're short of ideas. Mm. That was that was the overriding thought on a show that actually includes two really quite well, one very very good match and one match in in Taz and Devon Storm. That's probably even a little bit of a surprise how good it ended up being. But I don't know whether it's a lack of talent. I don't know whether it's just a lack of. Uh, established names in terms of guys that they, you know, we, we talked about ECW turnover. Dell mentioned it there. We talked about talent turnover. It kind of feels like they're just short of something right now. And so many arena wide brawls. I mean, maybe, maybe we, we look at how it's presented on TV. Maybe if they don't show a couple of them on TV, all of a sudden you can go, well, Bob, the arena wide brawls are for, for the fans. I kind of feel like the fans probably want some more in-ring action. I don't want to speak for the ECW crowd. I can imagine when you're there for the first time and there's action going on around you, it's probably a lot of fun. But equally, there are a lot of guys that go to a lot of those shows. And I can imagine that probably after the fourth or fifth time, they might be going, yeah, can we get some more action in that thing where all the action's meant to be? That was my overriding thought. And again, maybe I've just been watching so much ECW, it's kind of fell a bit flat. Go on, Kieran. No, it's a similar thing. I think, as I agree with Dell. I think it's, for me, it's, well, especially me personally, it's a lot to do with the roster. It's almost sort of 75 getting to 80% of the problem with this show is, you know, sort of encompassed with that idea that the the roster is just so different. There's almost no, I don't want to say the word, there's no wrestling because it just sounds a bit, you know, a bit snooty to say because, you know, I have praised ECW for their brawls before, but there just feels, like you said, Bob, lack of ideas. There's there's innovation here and there, but overall that I just think the... The roster is just too thin. Yeah, a lack of diversity, I think, is probably the biggest issue. You know, it. All right, you 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 can't get a production line of Benoit's and Guerrero's, but when they have those guys around and Too Cold Scorpio and people like that, there was more wrestling on it. So when you did the brawls, it stood out. And the other thing that comes to mind, that really comes to mind, and we'll come to it in a minute, this Raven and Dreamer feud ain't going anywhere fast. I mean, it's. They're, they're trying to go long with this. I, I think the idea is they're going to try and get their first pay-per-view with it, whenever that may be. You're going to need more than this. 
Um, but we'll come to that when we get to Maybe it. a cheeky shoot fight and a six-man tag that goes half an hour, Bob. Maybe. Maybe. The last time we was here, something happened to me that ain't never been happened before in my life. I got my ass kicked. Well, Eliminators, if that's the way you want to play, if you want to come out here and think you going to embarrass me on national TV, if you think that me and Mustafa took a licking and ain't going to keep ticking, then son, I got some news for you. You see, where I come from, I was brought up like this. If you get your ass kicked, you don't take it like a man and get up and shake the man's hand. You go home, regroup, and find a way to take the And I thought about it. I looked at all the tapes. I looked at all the film. I looked at everything that's been going on with me and Mustafa. And she was right. Well, Eliminators ain't changed about the gangsters. I don't think. But I'm going to tell you something. We going to get your ass. And we going to get it good. So if you punk listening, favor and bring your asses on out here. Because, boy, we ready to fight. We open with a new Jack promo. He says the last time he was here, he got his ass kicked. But if the Eliminators think that it's going to happen again, they've got it wrong. If you get your ass kicked, you don't take it like a man. You go home, regroup, and find a way to take the fuckers out. I think he said that anyway. I was lip reading while it was being bleeped. (laughs) When I got back to Atlanta, I went home. I looked at my old lady and she said, I don't feel sorry for you because you and Mustafa are fucking soft. Now you're worried about what people think about you. We're going to get your ass and we're going to kick your ass. His mum stopped talking at this point. Fucking awesome. Get your asses out of here because we're ready to fight. And here they come. It's the Eliminators. They brawl quickly before it breaks the ringside. Cronus misses with a big dive. New Jack slams Saturn over the Garo before dropping in a punch into the crowd. Saturn hits him with a chair. New Jack returns the favour. Saturn cracks a beer over New Jack's head. Cronus levels Mustafa with a big boot in the ring. And the locker room empties, finally, to break these four up. Joey Style says, It wasn't a side matchup. If we let them go, we'll lose our insurance. As if ECW has got any fucking insurance. Kieran, uh, New Jack promo, opening brawl, good start. Yeah, I, I like, um, said before, I, I think New Jack's, I think he's fantastic. <laughs> this promo had me like half scared, half in stitches. I don't know what to make of the fella because, I mean, I can sort of laugh at the TV, but I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't laugh in, I don't think I'd laugh in his face because 
at some points he comes across like a comedian and other points he comes across as very real. Um, I thought the brawl was really good. It sort of went on a bit too long, but I'm really enjoying this feud. So it's a good start. Dull? I love them. Um, <laughs> they, they were just kind of coming in the last time I was on this. There was the, um, the stuff with the, the public enemy who always bring a bit of comedy to it. Um, to what Kieran was saying there about you're able to laugh with them. Um, New Jack is, New Jack's different. Um, and with a company like this, you, you want things that are different, especially what we already did in the overview before we go into the rundown. We, we kind of seen a lot of the same old, same old. Um, it kind of puts me a bit in mind of Joe Pesci and Goodfellas when he's just kind of incredibly insane but funny with it and you you know that you could laugh with him and then the next thing you know it's just going to turn on a dime and it could do anything and it's I think they're just they're such a good team and you've just got Mustafa just lurking about in the background and it's I don't know man it's like He's I get old George and Lenny it's mental I love them I think they're brilliant yeah, um, I, I'll mention it now, I remember, I like the dynamic between the Eliminators and, and, and the Gangsters in that both teams have one guy that talks and one guy that stays silent. That's mm. quite a nice little dynamic. It's the whole thing where you're in a bar, you're not scared by the guy running his mouth, you're scared by the guy stood behind him <laughs> and doesn't say anything. Uh, New Jack's great. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not the hardest thing in the world to swear in a promo, to swear a lot in a promo, and it probably adds a lot of emphasis, but I don't get the sense New Jack swearing because he thinks it improves his promo ability. I think he's swearing just because that's what he fucking does. I think that's just New Jack. I think that's part of who he is. And maybe if it is part of the character that he's put together, that he's very believable at it. Um, at this point in this bit on this show with this program, with, with these two teams shooting, I thought it was pretty good. Um, but we're going to find out in a couple of minutes where I think it probably fell down. We move on to El Puerto Ricano versus Supernova. Supernova hip tosses Ricano to the outside, then hits a senton from the top to Ricano on the floor. Back in the ring, Ricano gets back on the offense with a drop kick, but Nova drives him into the corner, then flips him into a Tiger Bomb for a two. The crowd chant Power Ranger at Nova, who's dressed in blue and silver. Ricano hits an Asai Moonsault from the open to the outside. Nova ducks a clothesline, hits a super kick for the Eliminators run out. Both hit belly to bellies. The one on Nova looked particularly dangerous. Nova then eats a total elimination. Not much to the match. We may cover it when we come back in a sec. Saturn grabs the mic, a quick swear word laden promo, and they call out the gangsters. New Jack and Mustafa run out. New Jack's armed with a garbage can and launches it into the ring. We get another brawl. Usual stuff. They brawl brow the exit. Back into the ring, then up by the entrance. Once again, this time, after an absolute ace, the locker room empties and they try to separate them. JT Smith gets on the mic and wants to know why they can't just get along. Devon hits Little Guido with a chair and chases Smith to the back. The bad crew flip Ricano over the top. Hack Myers unloads on both of them, unloads on both of them and the segment ends. Um, Dell, this is where the show started to fall awry a bit for me. Which, uh, after a two minute opener is always a wee bit, a wee bit worrying. Um, I don't know how bad the relationship is these days with Paulie and, um, 911, cause this is the matches that the big man was there for. Um, dare I say if the, uh, Philly Faithful thought he was still in the books, then they would be chanting his name, cause this is the kind of match that they come out for. I do really like the start, as you say, with the, 
the gangsters and uh, the gangsters and the eliminators. I think they've got a good dynamic between them. Thank God they were there because uh, these ECW shows they can often tend to have. I don't know whether it's just the the tape traders that we've got, Bob, but they seem to kind of start with these matches that kind of run a couple of minutes and then it's just like non-finish and then you got onto the good stuff. Um, I don't know much else to say. I think the, the only thing that's going to let this down even more, it's maybe more in hindsight, we think it fell off a cliff here. This brawl really stood out at the time, but then you got onto that much later on in the show. It just didn't, it didn't it's kind of stand out come the end there. Sure. Yeah, I just, I'd have much preferred, have a brawl going on, but don't like take away from the guys trying to have like a match, because what those two guys were doing was, was, was okay for what they, for the time they had. I don't know why we couldn't have just had, why they had to have the brawl in the same place they just had the next one. Maybe this, they could have been cutting between the match and the brawl that was in like the back or something, do you know what I mean? And we, yeah, they hear, like, you like, know, they, just, Joey hears something, I'm getting news of a brawl between, and they cut to it and then cut back and just let the match go five minutes, not two minutes maybe, because we don't need we don't need brawl. You know, the two tag teams have a brawl, have a two minute match, and then the same two tag teams have another brawl. Like it, it was just bizarre. Yeah, it didn't work. Um, if you're gonna do the brawl again, particularly so soon in the show, you could have ended the show with the brawl yeah. and the second one, and it would have been. Okay, fair enough. If you're going to do it so soon, you've got to have a better plan than this. You've got to have a better, you know, the second brawl needs to end in something more significant. You know, it's it's the old thing where we talk about ECW, you know, Kieran, you mentioned earlier about one-upping themselves. Yep. Once you've done two choke slams, you can't come out the following show and have 911 do two choke slams because he's already done that. You know, you can't do the opening segment brawl have the a locker room empty and the segment end with a pull apart and then five minutes later come back out have the match end and then have another arena wide brawl and then after an absolute age the locker room entries and it just stops and i thought that that is a problem i thought the bigger problem was what the fuck did we have jt smith and Rakanyo and hack myers that you're trying to build this as a big yeah. blood feud and you end the segment with just a load of comedy, Kieran. I didn't get it. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't make it doesn't make sense. For, and I'd love to like hear your two takes on why why did they why do you think the one reason why they went brawl, stupid two minute match brawl. What? It's just that I I, I felt they wanted to make it stand out more than your average tag team feud. An average tag team feud would have one brawl during a show. We're gonna have two. That was yeah, my impression. I haven't read anything about that. I haven't said it. That was the impression I got watching it was they wanted to make this feud stand out above all the previous ones. Then, exactly. Then I would have done what, well, not to big, big myself up, but I would have done what I said. Then I would have littered the show throughout. Just have, you could have the gangsters and the eliminators brawling throughout the entire show. Well, you could have done that, but I think you were right. I think it, the, the, the logical answer would have been the match starts with Ricanio and Supernova and then three minutes in we just get New Jack Mustafa and the Eliminators brawling out from the back and it's like we got them backstage and we couldn't contain them and yeah. then you end the show with like 
two of them getting taken away in a car because they're like, we can't keep these guys in the same building. What happened afterwards? That's kind of the other thing. They had to pull apart, and then, like, well, did we get them on the rest of the show? We must have done. But, like, what happened after that? That's the confusing thing. Actually, did we get them on the rest of the show? No, we didn't. Like, I don't think so. Where did they go? Like, if you're going <laughs> to have, like, if you're going to have... Maybe have Paul Heyman and, and Todd Gordon like trying to calm down the eliminators and saying, look, we'll pay you, just go. Just go. You don't have to wrestle on this show, just go home. We can't do this tonight. Explain why. Dan, it just felt like, it felt like this segment cut off two or three minutes too soon. I felt like we were missing the key bit of this second brawl that we never got. Pretty much. We got act one and, uh, act two and three was just gonna, the third act was just missing. Um, I'm I'm going to defend it on paper. Um, the delivery, I, I think, could have been managed a bit better, but the way that I looked at it is New Jack comes out at the start, calls them out, eliminators come out, they need split up. Technically, you could argue that that makes the gangsters look stronger because they had the balls to come out and challenge the, um, the eliminators. But then with the second pull apart... That's instigated by the eliminators. So, I mean, I think on paper it, it makes sense because they're, they're trying to balance these two teams as, as equals. Um, there, there is belts involved, but this is more than that. Um, I think you want to make these two look equally strong, and I think that is a way to do it when it ends in a pull apart. But as you say, when we're when we're getting this like five ten minutes into a video. Um, what next? It's like it's not even the one upmanship argument. Um no. it's you you just you want to leave the audience wanting more obviously, but if I don't know, you don't want to kinda not to take away from Big Dick Dudley, but you don't want to blow your load too soon. Indeed you don't. I will at least say this, we'll come to it obviously at the end of the, the TV, but by the end of the month it felt like they'd fill, not filled in, it felt like they'd achieved on, in about five minutes on Hardcore TV, what they wanted to achieve with this in terms of making the few feel a bit more above the ordinary, but I don't think they got it here. Uh, anyway, we move on, here's Bubba Ray Dudley. Francine stood in the opposite corner and Bubba Ray likes what he sees. They bleep out the entire bit, but based on what I can, uh, based on what we're in the torch, Bubba basically says to her that he wants a blowjob, which pops the crowd no end. Not sure quite why they bleep that, but oh well. Um, Devon isn't happy. Number one, say your fucking name without stuttering before calling the fans imbeciles for encouraging him. He then says the pit bulls don't scare him. He calls them morons and then says there are three rules. Thou shall not kill thou shall not steal and thou shall not fuck with the Dudleys move on next it's Pitbulls 1 and 2 with Francine versus the Dudleys Devon and Bubba Ray with the Dudley clan the action spills straight to the outside into the ca- uh, crowd a chair gets swung Devon hits Pitbull too hard with a chair shot to the head Bo Ray takes a can to the face, which breaks his glasses. Devon gets thrown over the guardrail into the aisleway. We head off towards the eagle's nest. Pitbull 1 climbs up the ladder to the nest, comes off it and hits Devon with uh, a chair as he lands. Bubba hits a standing splash off the bleachers. Pitbull 1 wraps a chair around his neck. We get back in the ring. Devon goes for a sunset flip and almost gets a three. One of the Dudley clan in the wheelchair gets clotheslined off it. Then Francine goes after him. The Dudley, the Dudley gets up, so Francine not kicks him, knees him, sorry, in the bollocks. Devon gets driven face first into a chair. They set up Bubba Ray for a super bomb, then hit it. 
They delay going for a cover on Devon Dudley, laying in some horrible-looking chair shots to the head, including one for the ref. This, of course, elicits ECW chants from the crowd. Devon sets his eyes on Francine. The Pitbulls then just pick up the ref and give him a Super Bowl for good measure, and the match just, well, ends. Um, Kieran, uh, I guess my view on this match probably isn't helped by what's to follow, but I didn't exactly like this match even at the time. No, I d- again, this what I said about the show as an overall is just too many, too many brawls. There's not enough coherence. It's just there's nothing, there's nothing to get you involved in the match aside from like the, I mean, some of them chair shots were pretty, they're pretty painful even watching it on telly. Um, I mean, if if the story's true about J.C. Smith being out of action on the show because Devon hit him so hard with a chair the previous mm. week that his ears were still ringing, like, you, you, I'm surprised anyone thought, oh, I know, let's, <laughs> let's, let's let Devon take a shot to the head with a chair or, or <laughs> div one out. Like, that felt a bit weird. Yeah, I, it seems to be, to sort of go against sort of, you know, sort of any sense of reasoning at all as to, the very thing that he's just done to someone, well, let's let, let him hit everyone in the match with a chair, or every, you know, every opponent in the head with a chair, because they, my God, did he hit them with that chair? That's, I mean, that's my, that's my big takeaway was those chair shots. Other than that, um, I didn't really enjoy the match at all, to be honest. Del? Do you find Dudley's like fucking Babe Ruth? <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know how much license they're getting. I mean, he's going to get through this roster pretty sharply, Shank. Um, that, that's his route to the title. In, in amongst winning, winning shoot fights, he's giving people shoot injuries. Yeah, he's um, he's just got to win it by default, I think. Um, I, I, I really like this Dudley clan. Um, I think there's a lot of legs in this, laterally, because there's like 10 of them, I think. Um but one of them's in a wheelchair, so... That's... Well, Chubby, Chubby's still... I mean, it's probably just a case that he's a bit kind of chubby to be walking out the aisle every night. But um, I don't... I don't know. It's We talk about strength of gimmicks and the old face kind of comparisons taker in the Fed. Um, you you kind of get these gimmicks in the minutes when it's in a stable when there's so many of them and it's so eclectic a group it's like you can't help but smile but then when the match happens and there's there's not really much happens in it we've we've seen Mecano and Nova and I know contest we've seen this and I know contest unfortunately because of our poor choice of tape traders we missed Mikey I don't think he would have saved us but um I don't know it's just there's really no much to no much to report I mean you're talking about a match that must have went a bit seven, eight minutes anyway, then you want to be having at least something to talk about. And all we've really got is the, the Dudley gimmick. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say this a lot during this show. I think this match would have benefited from having more of it inside the ring. But it is, uh, you know, we haven't seen a lot of Devon, admittedly. Um, but more in-ring action would give Devon less license to swing chairs, in theory, which would have been a benefit. And the Pitbulls are one of those teams, like, that, that they wrestle such a hard style. I, I almost, almost kind of think you, you, you limit what they can do by sending them into the crowd in the sense that they're so good in the ring. Showcase them in the ring. Um, and yeah, this is, this is one of those finishes. It comes back to what I said earlier about the, the six man on the TV. When, 
when the finishes don't mean much in matches that have nothing on them, when a match like this can just end for no reason, it kind of means that when you try and tell a story with with Douglas and with Sandman and with Dreamer, because the match finishes, you're telling your audience they don't mean all that much. It means that when Sandman sacrifices himself for the sake of a match finish or when Douglas doesn't, it doesn't mean as much. Um, now, admittedly, this came afterwards, but it's that's the kind of that's the message you're sending across here when you do a finish like this. It's like, yeah, it's just a match. Wrestler gets bored, kicks the ref in the face. There's no repercussions because we're hardcore. That's it. Like that's the gimmick, and it's like BC fine. dub, BC yeah, dub. Exactly. That's what the fans started chanting when they wiped out the ref was because the match didn't matter. That was kind of the impression I got. We, we're here to brawl around the fans. We're not here to, to put on matches that matter. That's what it felt like. That was probably one of the biggest problems I had with this show. Was that if, if the matches between the competitors matter, the finishes should matter. And when it's all about brawling around the ring and not really trying to do, you know, when it's all that same homogenous style, the finishes mean less. And when they mean less, the, the matches mean less. Anyway. Out comes Bill Alfonso in a black shirt with Taz on the pocket and an orange bow tie. Taz written on the pocket and an orange bow tie. Taz now has an entourage too. Out comes another Power Ranger. This time it's Dangerous Devon Storm, who wrestled a pretty good match against Conan a couple of months back on Nitro. Bill Alfonso has questions uh, for all the fans in the arena. He pulls out a Philadelphia Flyers t-shirt, or uh, jersey, sorry, for saying that his Tampa Bay beat them. He says they even stole Taz's colours. He stamps on the shirt and throws it away. A fan throws it back. Next up, it's Taz with Bill Alfonso versus Dangerous Devon Storm. Taz is a hip toss. He seems to be a bit more respectful than usual. He hits a snap mare, then goes for an armbar. Alfonso's whistle is annoying as usual. Taz stops in a leapfrog and then hits a T-bone Taz plex. Storm hits a springboard kick and does one of the most lethal baseball slides I've ever seen that drove Taz hard into the guardrail. Storm sits Taz on a chair on the outside, jumps back in the ring, does a flip dive over the top and takes Taz out on the ground. Alfonso turns to the camera and says, he got in one lucky move and he thinks he's an ECW superstar. With that, Storm hits a moonsault for a two and a leg drop. Storm goes to the top of the chair, goes for a moonsault with it, but Taz moves. Taz goes to the outside and grabs the table. Storm, who's been doing Sabu-like shit all match, does a running leg drop, fight off the chair into the corner. Taz moves, then flips him over the top. Storm bounces off the table, which slides out from underneath him and hits the floor hard. That did not look nice at all. The ref makes the count, and Taz wins by countout. And just for the record, Afonso has been blowing the whistle the entire fucking <laughs> match. Taz <laughs> drops to the outside and chokes Storm out anyway. Taz grabs the mic. He calls Storm a Sabu wannabe. I'll give you a little credit, you son of a bitch. At least you showed up, unlike the king. With that, Taz mocks Sabu's pose. Dale, what do you think of this? I really like this pair of Taz and, Taz and Fonzie. Sorry, Bill Alfonso, if I'm not allowed to call him Fonzie. Um, the whistle adds to it. The, um, the keeping of the, the costume, but changing it to Taz colour suits them. <laughs> Taz is believable. Um, Devin Stormer was actually pretty impressed. Well, as you say, the baseball slide was in there, the, the couple of bumps that looked pretty brutal in it. Um, it's a pretty decent match. I mean, I don't know whether it's just because we actually came close to an actual finish. I mean, this was a, we were getting close to a decisive win, but, um, 
it, it was a pretty decent match. I mean, again, there wasn't really much to it, but the full, the full Taz act, whether it's with these, this new kind of team of guys coming out with him, or if it's with Fonzie and that fucking whistle, I, I, I really like them as a, as a set up, but as I say, I was pretty impressed with this Devon Storm. I thought it was a pretty decent match. Sure. Yeah, the same. I thought it was a pretty decent match. It was nothing special, but I, again, what Dale said, I, I, I like the the Taz thing. I like the fact that he's got a stable. It looks, they look good. Um, Taz is believable. You know, Alfonso's really fucking annoying, which is good for that for the the gimmick. Um, and I like everything about it. I'm keen to see where this whole Taz thing and Team Taz thing goes. To be honest. Devon Storm didn't, you know, didn't do himself a disservice. I thought he was all right. He, he, he was very Sabu-like, but I suppose that's the that's the point of it. But um, yeah, it was all right this match. Yeah, um, this the I, like I said in the WCW part, specifically talking about match finishes. When you do so much of what I would perceive to be a negative, so much in that case, match finishes. In this case, arena wide brawls. When you revert back to the norm, it kind of works a lot better than it should have this match on another card would have been a match but it ended up being the second best match on the card just because there wasn't really much competition beyond the obvious um that being said like the the flip side is and i don't know whether this is a deliberate choice i don't know whether this is just the reality of the situation the flip side is is that because you're doing so many arena wide brawls maybe there's an emphasis on God, we need a, we need a match in the middle of all this out of Taz. But Kieran, I don't know whether I'd be having Taz in such even matches. It doesn't, you know, Taz winning by countout. I mean, okay, it was a fairly definitive yeah. countout, and it was a a brutal looking finish. And I think the idea was that he was meant to go through the table rather than fall off it. But it it, it didn't quite work for me. I guess is what I'm getting at. No, you, you, I sort of see what you mean. You want sort you, you want sort of Taz to steamroll his opponents at this point. I want someone else in this match and I want Taz winning a different match somewhere else on the show. Okay. Yeah, That's I... Fine. Yeah, I can't... Yeah. Yeah. Don't? I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Definitive as always, Kim. Um I can't argue with you. Um, do you see Devon Storm six months, 12 months down the line kind of been up the card, maybe with a mid-card title. No. So I don't really see why you would. I don't know whether uh, for Am Tex, I the only one that quite likes Devon Storm? He was oh, right. I, I mean, I just can't kind of see him. Yeah. He's not going to... I don't think he's... I can't see his name in likes. Let's put it that way. Dangerous um, Devon Storm does sound like a cartoon character. Well, Prime Watch and, and like a B-roll one. Not really, not really something that's prime time. But as you say, he's done a job but. Again, I think I'm just a wee bit more on your side when you're saying about Taz. You can have, not maybe steamrolling them, but, oh, I don't know, it just, it seemed a bit of a strange fit. Um, there's the full allusion to, to Sabu, which was good. Um, I don't know, it, it was certainly March the night so far, but as you say, it's, it's not got a lot of competition. Yeah, there is also the thing about Sabu. Taz keeps saying, you know, keep chatting his name, he's not coming. He's on this show. <laughs> like, that's a, I, I mean, that's a pretty big problem with all of that. I mean, okay, you know, I feel like 
Taz is being proven to be correct by the fact that Sabu's not running out. So it's not like Taz is looking for Sabu. He's goading him out. But it's like, this is a more traditional babyface heel match, uh, you know, matchup than most of the things on ECW. Where is Sabu? Like, I know he doesn't talk, but it's like, Sabu's at these shows now. There was that thing, you know, when he, just around when he came back when Taz turned, where Sabu was kind of on some shows and off others. He's on most shows so far this year. Why isn't he out there? Like, a guy's ragging you off. Like, I know you're Sabu. I know you're not this most, you know, stereotypical babyface. But a guy's running his mouth about you. You're meant to be the good guy in one way, shape, or form. We'll see what happens at the end of his match with RVD that kind of shows that. Where are you? Um, I don't think it's even down to wrestling psychology and wrestling logic. Bob, I think the most worrying thing for me is I already alluded back to last year's when we were talking about last year's um, Hostel City Showdown card. Sabu used to come out in a gurney. He used to be tied and he used to have 911 as protection. Not protection for him, but protection for the opponent because he was so inane and insane that he could not be held back. So as you say, where is he? Do you think he's been, do you think he's been, do you think he's maybe, he can't be bothered down or they're trying to water it down? That'd be a pretty shit storyline if the angle is, oh, Sabu just can't be bothered. (laughs) Aye, we've, uh, we've got the underlying. (laughs) That's that's, that's not the payoff to this (laughs) storyline. Um, I don't know. I think there's a story that you could easily tell, but they just didn't do it and, as we say, when we come on to the match later on, dare I say, if if we can, if you're going to turn this into Taz and Sabu and then just leave leave Van Damme out of it, then it probably takes away for the shine of that match as well. But again, it's kind of similar to what we've seen with the gangsters and the eliminators at the top of the show. It's like, where's it going? We're going to see Raven and Stevie Richards, um, Raven and Tommy Dreamer over. God knows how many more months we've already seen it for 18 that, where's it going? It's like... Yeah, you don't, you I, don't want them to sort of drag out another feud. Mm, you don't want... We, can we just have sort of like three, four month feuds, you know? And then well, I mean, there you've got the go, main three feuds in that show and they've been going on and they don't really show any signs they can go anywhere fast, but also not ending, which is, is a bit of a worry. But why doesn't, why doesn't Sabu sort of stick his head out of the curtain during a Taz match trying to put Taz off? Like with Dell said, why doesn't he sort of turn why, up? Why does he just so come out there and beat the fuck out of him? You know what I mean? <laughs> or like, that, or, or that, yeah, that, or, or subtle like that. Yeah. Because they've already used a pull apart brawl card <laughs> twice in yeah, the show, yeah. probably. Well, that's true. And, and, and the other reason is the bigger problem is, is that they just don't want to do Sabu and Taz now. But it's like, you can't do the whole, let's do a program without having the guys together i mean i know wcw have done it to an extent but you can't do the whole program let's build a feud around two guys that don't appear on tv at the same time while they're both on the same fucking card that's not how this works um they need to do a better job with that i think unless i'm missing something obvious i don't think i am anyway move on it's Little Guido with J.T. Smith versus Axel Rotten. Rotten mocks Guido's short stature while walking out. Smith combs Guido's hair. Smith says that they're the FBI now, the full-blooded <laughs> Italians. Quite a nice touch that. Guido runs at Rotten, who backflips him. Guido's legs hit the top rope on the way down, which don't look fun at all. Fans chant, J.T.'s got a boyfriend. 
So Guido hits Sunset Flip for a two, then an arm drag. Guido goes for a crossbody. Axel catches him and just dumps him over the top rope. Axel grabs a pie and rams it in Guido's face. Rotten then takes a chair and hits him over the head. Guido goes for a load of pins but only gets a load of twos. Guido goes for an arm bar. Axel blocks it. JT Smith is giving it large at ringside. Guido goes for a top rope leg drop but misses it and hits hard. Rotten lays in some big lefts and then runs him over with a clothesline. Ron hits a power bomb into a flapjack type manoeuvre and picks up the win. After the match, JT Smith gets on the mic and tries to apologise to Axel, talking down to him. Rotten goes to the outside and eventually just gets pitched off and walks to the back. Smith tries to talk Guido down. He's got a bloody annoying voice. He then starts singing some Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Kieran. Oh, bored off me tits. I just... There's nothing, there's literally nothing here, Bob. I'm sorry, I haven't got much to say at all. Um, the singing was all right, was it? No? No. Right, no. Right, I haven't got anything, Bob. I just, no, I hated it. I'm just, yeah, whatever. No. Move on. Fuck off, yeah. I'd love JC Smith. I don't know where that is, man. <laughs> I, oh, I just love this fall. You had to go that. me and my Val Puccio thing. Honestly, oh, man, I think I have got the same thing. Um, no. Why? Why no in this full bloodied Italian faction? I don't know, but JT Hank's doing so good, and I don't know what it is. And as we said at the at the top, Bob, we when that's a part of the anyway, with the um, chair shot for for the Black Bay roof earlier on. It's it's such a good story, I think, with JT. It's like he's. He's been accident prone for how many months now? He's taken that many kind of dodgy bumps that he's concussed and now he thinks he's, he's as Italian as Joey Trebbiani. I think it's so good. And it's, I don't know what it is, but I just think that's full acts brilliant. Plus Axel Rotten was in there and I've got a bit of a soft spot for him. It, uh, I mean, it, it might have been the third best match on the card. In the sense that it was probably the third of three that stayed predominantly around ringside and didn't go into the fans. That's probably where my positives for this match end. Um, yeah, JT Smith's not that. JT Smith isn't a character that warrants having a character bought in off the back of him, which doesn't help. Axel Rotten hasn't done anything of any note since Ian buggered off, which doesn't help. Um, yeah, just three guys I don't think people care about. That's the biggest problem. That's That up and down might be the biggest problem on this show, was that last year they had guys that either you cared about more or guys that were just better. Like That's the thing, even when it was you know, Eddie Guerrero who not long debuted, you watched Eddie Guerrero for five minutes and you were a fan. You don't watch you know, Axel Rotten for five minutes and become a fan. That's... Yeah, that's where we're at. Anyway, we'll move on. It's the Sandman. I'm not staying any longer on that. We've gone, we've gone too long into the show already. Uh, the Sandman and Two Cold Scorpio with Mitty Hyatt versus the Bruce Brothers, Ron and Don Harris. What is Two Cold Scorpio wearing? Blue flare trousers <laughs> with the thighs <laughs> cut out. It was like beefcakes or tights that he used to wear at WrestleMania. <laughs> I've got it in my notes. I said beefcake. I actually <laughs> wrote that down. <laughs> the, the booty man in, in ECW. Oh. 
He's, uh, he's not 239, he's a slim, chiseled and ripped 238. <laughs> Styles bemoans them, debuting, debating who will start the match, saying within a minute they'll be all over the arena. I actually had in my notes that I thought that might be a precursor to them not going all over the arena. Uh, <laughs> I wish I was right. Uh, Scorpio and Harris lock up. Scorpio gets a leapfrog in. Sandman gets a shot from the corner. And this match threatens to break down. Still tag rules are observed. Harris A chokes Scorpio on the bottom rope. Scorpio goes for a crossbody, but Harris A catches him. Obviously, it's not Harris A, it's just one or the other. Scorpio rolls through before Harris just bats him out of the air while he goes for a drop kick. A couple of body slams and the Harris brothers hit a double team flapjack. Scorpio hits the head scissors after doing a handspring off of the top. The Harris brother lands quite awkwardly. We then repeat the spot with the other Harris brother. This this time he just launches Scorpio over the top to the outside. Salman gets involved and gets beaten down by the brothers. They start lashing him. Missy Hyatt looks oddly happy. Salman rallies for pouring beer down Missy's dress, then motorboating her. Scorpio hits a double diving clothesline from the top. We finally start on a wiener-wide brawl. They just can't resist. Sandman collapses into the guardrail, into the fans. Scorpio goes to the top and hits a Mikey Whitrack-style diving crossbody into the fans, taking out both brothers and Sandman. Back in the ring, Scorpio hits a moonsault. The ref rattles off a very quick pin, and that's enough for that. That was all a bit weird. I've got in my notes. Dale, what do you think? Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm Cam Stowell, I've come down for GT. Um, it, there really wasn't much here. Um, I, I think you'd be struggling, particularly in a tag division, to find a, a better look than Ron and Don Harris. They're huge. They're identical. It's just like, you see they two coming over a hill and you run. And it's a bit strange when you see a team with as much kind of are as little and common really with Too Cold and Sandman and then when you add in Missy into the situation it's, it's a strange one for them to be winning that when you get these two no pun intended bruisers in the ring um, again it kind of went a bit arena happy for me but I don't know it's there's not much you can say to be honest but Karen? Uh, again like with the previous there's just Oh, you just know where it's going to go and it's just so annoying because they could do so much more. But again, descends into the arena-wide brawl thing and then I just lose interest and I, again, I was just bored. Didn't like it at all. Kieran, what's the worst arena-wide brawl you've seen in ECW? <laughs> Dale, I'll ask, I'll ask you the same question. I think the problem for me is we've seen that many these days. It's hard to distinguish between them. That's the problem. Mm. There is no such thing as a bad arena-wide brawl, and there is no such thing as a good arena-wide brawl. Mm-hmm. They're all the same. Mm. Do you know what? I've just thought, I just when I first started watching ECW, Bob, I come back to one thing. I can't remember which one of you said it was about. You know, when you see, maybe when you've seen it, for the, I think it was you, Bob. When you see it for the first couple of times, it's all something new. So. When I first started watching ECW, I was like, I, I, I remember saying on the shows, I remember saying, oh, I wonder, you know, Dale, I wonder what, you know, if they're going to use a toaster this week or they're going to use like, <laughs> you know, a blender. And I was like quite involved. I was quite, you know, oh, what weapons am I going to see this week? And now I'm just like, oh, fucking hell's teeth, another one. And I just can't, it just, it's just boring. 
they're all the same. And I don't know, because maybe, I assume, arena-wide brawls are fun if you're there. And if you're a new fan to ECW, as you say, Kieran, you probably enjoy them quite a lot because you don't see them very often. Mm. But if you're in this group of people like us who've been watching ECW for a while now, who can't go to the arena, it's all a bit the same. And, it, and as I say, that's the big thing. It, there is, there is, all arena-wide brawls are exactly the same. They are no better to watch or no worse to watch than the previous one. They will be no better or worse than the next. They're all the same. And so it, it, it you just, for, forgive me for saying, but you kind of just ignore it. You, it kind of just becomes, okay, another arena-wide brawl. You know, and I know that kind of, that featured quite late on into my notes, but that would just be kind of because after that, you know, there's only so much you can write about an arena ride brawl from the sense of a, you know, writing up notes for this kind of format. It just, yeah, and, and, and the other thing was, I talk about match finishes. Dell, what was the quick pin for? That, yeah. you know, that was like, I talk about the end of matches and matches mattering and pinfalls mattering and results mattering the ref does a quick pin the sort of babyface team a sort of babyface as you can kind of get in ecw just celebrate the victory the heels were mad there was no repercussions there was no follow-up it was just a finish and it was like yeah i'm just kind of starting to get used to the idea that these finishes don't really matter pretty much and when you hear me earlier on saying i was literally quite excited about Taz almost getting a decisive win in Devon Storm and that was a count out here we've got a a pinfall finish and they still can't kind of carry it off why is, is it overexposure of the arena is, is it a lackey a lackey personal involvement in the competitors I don't know it's just so far I mean it, it's just get, it's just get 3 out of 10 wrote all over it the show there's it's no we say it a lot. More commonly with WCW, dare I say, when when stuff is so bad that it's almost laughable and you enjoy it and you get a bit of fun at it. There's only one thing that's worse than bad wrestling, and it's boring wrestling. Yeah. And it's when you're not involved in it emotionally, you don't have the investment, as you say, with the with the issues with with finishes actually mattering. It's it's very hard to get involved. Yeah, I kind of come back to, you know, not not that we ever, you know, we we do the kind of score ratings at the end of shows just for the, the, the hell of something, just for, you know, kind of reference almost. Last month's show, Rory doing, I think, his second ECW review and Steve doing their first, both gave it, I think, a 9 out of 10. And I, I remember kind of thinking... There's no way this is a nine out of ten show, and that's not yeah, three months. I totally understand where they're coming from. I totally oh, yeah. understand where they're coming from. That's though. kind of what I'm getting at. Is that I think if you watch this stuff for the first time out, the first couple of times, it's it's mind blowing. It's like wow, this is fun. Because it's so different to probably what the other shows they've been doing. If no, if they've come from like a WCW, where it's they're watching Kevin and Dave Sullivan having a scrap. <laughs> then they go. Then they. Then the next, you know, the next show they're reviewing is an ECW one. Then I can kind of uh, see where they're coming from. Yeah. Do you want to see somebody getting hit with a high heel, or do you want to see them getting yeah. hit with a toaster? <laughs> yeah, it's a very good point. It's a very good point. Anyway, we move on to prime time. Brian Lee versus Tommy Dreamer. Dreamer goes straight for a low blow, then hits a jawbreaker with a chair on his shoulder. That was quite nice. Dreamer goes for a baseball slide. Lee moves and hits him with a chair. 
going to the crowd again. They brawl around towards the entranceway and then towards the eagle's nest. Dreamer hits a nice running bulldog. Dreamer jumps off the camera position with a splash. Lee then throws him off the platform onto the bleachers. We eventually return to the ring. Dreamer ducks a clothesline and Lee wipes out the ref. Dreamer hits the DDT, but the Bruise Brothers come out. Lee holds up a chair to both sides of Dreamer's head. And oh, we do get here as well. Um, the, uh, Lee holds up the chair, each, a chair either side of Dreamer's head, and the Bruise Brothers hit a double big kick. Of course, Dreamer kicks out the resulting pin, hits a DDT again, but the ref gets taken out again, and the Bruise Brothers are back. They place a cinder block on Dreamer's nuts. Lee hits that with a steel chair, and that's enough for the win. Kieran? God. It's like, if we'd have just had, again, keep coming back to it, but if we just, and it seems to be the overriding thing for the show, if we just had a bit more in the ring, and f- forget the bloody cinder block to the bollocks spot, <laughs> just, just don't do it, because you've just, and then... He I thought that out, was the best part of the match. And then, but the thing is, it comes, what, what, what I would have preferred is cinder block to the old joy department, and then do the double chair shot, double foot thing, and he doesn't kick out do that because it means so much more then because it's like well they've, they've they've wrecked his chances of having little dreamers and and now they're gonna scramble his brains for him and he loses but no he has to kick out of that and then they do the cinder block so there was a there was some really good spots in there it just again it just felt like it was just a bit thrown together whereas if more thought was put into it I think it would have been a lot better. I wasn't actually that low, that low on this show before we start reviewing it, but God, I mean, it, it wasn't... <laughs> Sorry, for, Bob. No, no. I don't impress you, mate. No, no, no. Like, I, I, I'm down here with you. Like, if it wasn't for Sabu and Rob Van Dam, this might have been one of the worst shows we've ever covered. That's kind of where I'm at now. Go on, Del. Um, uh, guess I knew me into the phrase cock block, but... Um, apart well, from that, hard. Well, hard. Um, well, hard. I'll bow to you there, Del. I need thanks, to get mate. tips off you. Um... Apart from that, there's not much to say. I mean, I think you could, we might even try this in the coming months, Bob. I might send you. I thought, I thought you were going to say. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not going to be caught blocking each other. I promise you. Um, Something that we might try is I might just send you a match review with no names in it, and then just put the names in it, and we'll just use the same match review for every fight yeah. because it's it's touching on that. Um, so far, thankfully, we know what's coming up next, but. As you say, the, the one thing that stood out was the cinder block. It's like, it's something that actually made this different to anything else. And apart from that, it's the same old. It, it's, it's taking the screw job finish to a whole nother level of what the fuck's going on? Like, you know, when the, when the ref gets leveled twice, when he comes around the first time, doesn't he end the match? Like, I know ECW's kind of a promotion where your know, ref bumps are a bit more fluid than, say, in WCW and WWF. They're, it's not so much for a storyline trope. A lot of the times the ref gets involved, whatever. But like, since, you know, we, we, we talk about, wrestling matches ECW is a very good storytelling promotion but but the more we kind of watch it and the more we go through this show it's like you're telling nice stories but you're not telling nice stories within matches why does you know the whole problem the whole thing about wrestling matches you've got to get people invested in the finish because that gets them invested in the match otherwise it's just a fight scene in a movie it's just a choreographed stunt you're not you're not invested in the match you're not invested in what might happen when the ref gets wiped out and the Bruise Brothers just carrying on attacking, like, 
I don't, I don't think, oh, this is great heat on the heels in this feud against Dreamer. I just kind of go, where's the story? Where's the structure in which this is taking place? Because otherwise this is just a barroom fight. It's nothing more than that. It's, it's meant you know, to be a wrestling match and yet it doesn't feel like you're telling me the result matters. It's almost, I've just had this thought. It's almost like, and stick with me here. It's almost like they don't care about the people that aren't that are watching it, that aren't at the event itself. Well, we have to go back to the thing I, I, you know, broken record. Not all of this will air on TV. Uh, yeah, tape trays are small, etc., etc., to a small chunk of the audience, etc., etc., all of that. And, you know, we are we are in a fairly unique situation in that I'm guessing as much as ECW's tape training is good, I'm... Um, I don't know whether more people are watching it on video than are... Uh, than are watching it in the arena. But I would make a wager that it's fairly close. I imagine if you're tape trading, you're probably tape trading TV. But who knows? Who knows? I don't know. But we have to caveat everything, you know, broken record, in that not all of this will air on TV. This That's is a point. live event, etc., etc. But, I, you know, you're, you're, for, for a company that prides itself on being so company in promotion, they're not really a company, for a promotion that prides itself on being so forward thinking and being so innovative and so edgy, I would, you know, I would feel like regardless of whether they're having a good time, I feel like ECW used to hold itself to higher standards when it came to storytelling. It kind of felt like they were throwing it in, phoning it in. And regardless of whether the crowd enjoyed themselves, like people enjoy themselves at circus shows. They enjoy themselves watching movies. This is pro wrestling. It's, it's not about spots. It's about matches. And when, when you kind of go down this path, the matches mean less. It just... You, I think you're kind of losing what makes ECW so good in that they can push the boundaries out with the stories they tell. Just go back to what got you invested in the first place. For me, it was people like... I mean, you can't replicate these people. I understand that. But you can... That that phrase I always go back to, Bob. You know, you accentuate the positives, hide the negatives. You've, got, you've lost people. I understand that they've lost people. But people like Cactus Jack, who would get you invested just through a promo, you wouldn't need a match. They need more stuff like this, but like you said, it just seems like they're phoning it in and they're just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. I'll say it now before I forget at the end. This felt like one of the most promo-light months that I can remember from ECW. Oh, this, yeah. Watching the TV and that, that almost might be the bigger loss in that they feel so light on talent in the, and you know, in 1994 they had Douglas cutting promos every week. They could have fallen back on that if they wanted to. But, it just felt like in another, you know, a few months ago, this would have been stunning Steve Austin in this spot. It would have been, you know, it would have been someone like a Rey Mysterio Jr. or someone like that. Someone that would have gone, I'm different. In the end, it was like, for all Tommy Dreamer's strengths, he ain't that good a wrestler. Um, Brian Lee ain't that good a wrestler. And this match weren't that good. Over on next, it's Sabu versus Rob Van Dam. They're saying this match is one fall to a finish, no time limits. What are they, Del, did they say one fall to a positive finish? Was I think that, they did. They actually, I think they said positive. Uh, did they say it in the main event too? Or am I imagining that? I never heard that, but I do remember positive finish, which kind of stuck out to me. Okay, well, uh, okay, maybe I'll imagine that for the main event. We'll carry on. Sabu shoots for a leg twice, Van Damme evades him, third time's a charm, and Sabu takes him down. 
Sabu goes for a clothesline. Van Damme ducks that one and another before levelling in with a big kick. Van Damme hits a forward roll into a splash. Sabu sends him to the outside. Sabu drapes him over the second rope and then drops a guillotine leg drop from the top. That looks strong. Sabu goes for a camel clutch, then a single leg Boston crab. Sabu does a shoulder roll over Van Damme, but lands on his head. That looked fun. Sabu puts Van Damme on the top rope, then drop kicks into the outside. He follows that with a slingshot somersault plancher. Van Damme jumps onto the guardrail to attempt a moonsault. Sabu just shoves him into the crowd. Sabu sets up a chair in the ring. Sabu runs off the far ropes, jumps off a chair, off of the top rope, and does a big dive into the crowd, taking out Van Damme. Sabu props up a table between the guardrail and the ring. He then goes to the top. Van Damme rolls off, so Sabu just throws himself at him anyway. Sabu attempts to do a running kick off of the table, but slips. That didn't look fun at all. Sabu hits a, uh, Van Damme, sorry, hits a flip dive off the apron, wiping out Sabu. Back in the ring, Van Damme hits a springboard leg drop, then a power bomb. He has a surfboard stretch, but Van Damme selling a broken rib couldn't support his weight. Van Damme picks Sabu off the top, off his shoulders, but Sabu hits a spike DDT. Sabu does a running jump off the chair. Van Damme jumps off the top rope at the same time and clears him. Van Damme then swings the chair wildly. It bounces off of the ring post and goes flying into the fans. Someone catches it and throws it back. Van Damme then does a running flip dive to the outside, taking out Sabu. They climb to the top. Sabu sets for a suplex, I think, and Van Damme just shoves him off, flying through the table. Sabu gets another table and lays Van Damme on top of it. He gets in the ring. No running involved here. He just does a flip dive over the top. The table doesn't break, so he just goes back into the ring, redoes the spot again, does another flip dive, and this time it works. For a guy who likes going through tables, Sabu could probably do with being a little bit bigger. Sabu does a springboard moonsault off the top for into the ring for a two. Sabu hits Van Damme with a right. Van Damme hits a high-angle German suplex with a lovely bridge for a two. He then goes to the top and just about catches Sabu with a neck breaker on the way down. Van Damme hits a guillotine leg drop on the apron, then a leg drop into the ring for a two. Van Damme goes for a chair. Sabu does a double knee drop on Van Damme. Sabu puts Van Damme on the top, then does a DDT to the mat. Sabu, Sabu jumps off the chair onto the rope, onto the top rope, then hits a moonsault back into the ring, and that will wrap it up. Brutal and very, very good. We end the match with Sabu wanting to shake Van Damme's hand. Van Damme walks off, and Sabu doesn't look happy. Joe Styles says the match is tainted as a result. Del, what's Taz? Well, well, as, as, as I said earlier. If, if Taz's idea is goading out Sabu, he doesn't have to come out when, Sa- you know, Taz is calling Sabu out. It's not Taz's responsibility to confront Sabu in this case. I feel like it's Sabu's responsibility to confront Taz. No, that's a fair point. Um, anyway, fuck Taz. This was wrestling for the change. Um, best match of the night. Possibly might be one of the matches of the year. I wouldn't maybe go that far at this early stage, but it was decent. Um, it just shows that the simple things work. It's not hard. Don't need to get into a crowd. Don't need to avoid it. I wouldn't call this match not hard. They didn't go into the crowd very much, but they did a lot of shit. Oh, aye. It, it's not hard kind of booting it. I mean, this was a, this was an in-ring match. It worked. This was a, a match that built to a crescendo. It worked. This was a match where you don't need to go all in the crowd. If you trust the, the guys that's in there, I don't want to hark back too much to, to Dean and Eddie last year, but it works. 
And these two guys, I mean, I don't know whether I'm overstating it. I know Sabu's kind of had his brief array in Atlanta and I don't think you're going to really hold a guy that looks like Rob Van Dam down for too long. I, I think these two are just potential world beaters, the two of them. Um, match was really good. It's the only thing that you're, that you're going to take away for this show so far that we've seen really good. I, I don't want to overstate it too much. It might, as I say, just be in the back of the show that we've seen so far up to this, but it just shows that the, the simple things in wrestling work. A bit of athleticism, a bit of a story, a bit of a character that you care about in both of these guys, and a genuine athletic contest, a good wrestling match, sound belt to bell, and it meant something, Bob. We were talking about it earlier on. What did they, was there a belt in the line? No. Was there, was there any kind of special kind of stipulations coming into it? No. Did either two of them even talk? No. But you get the bit at the end where, for Van Dam Disney Disney do the, the handshake. You've got Sabu out there who's in the middle of this apparent feud with Taz, but it didn't matter. What mattered was the wrestling and that's why we're here and just thank fuck it was on this show because it it saved a bit of faith that I've got in this company and I thought it was very, very, very good. Kieran. It was absolutely one of the best it's easily one of the best things I've seen on any ECW show. It felt like the the quintessential ECW match, but done in a way where it's up there with a with an Eddie and a Dean match. So all those matches that Eddie and Dean had, this felt like two ECW guys having that caliber of match and doing that caliber of match in their way and their style. I also agree with Dale, I had it in my notes, this felt like, because of how the rest of the show was, to me this felt like they could trust these guys to go out and do whatever they wanted to do, whereas I think what the rest of the shows sort of shows is that maybe they didn't and they thought everything else had to be a brawl because they really didn't know what these other guys were capable of, they obviously know what they've got with these two, and I think they just said, look guys, we trust you, go out there and just put on a hell of a match, and and they did. And I think the trust in these two guys has paid off. You then factor in the ending, like they'll say, you don't need, you didn't need the promos. We didn't need the belts. We didn't need any like gimmicks, quote unquote, other than them being completely mental. Um, you then factor in that Taz could also come into this situation. I love the fact. I love the fact that Van Dam didn't shake his hand because immediately the booze went up. All of a sudden, you've got a story out of nothing. And I think if you then factor, maybe Taz comes into it as well, and there's the three of them between each other, and then maybe that goes on, and maybe then a belt gets involved. I just think this was just, it sets up so much, but on its own as a match, Bob, brilliant. I feel like we've been negative for about five hours on the show. Um, I don't think it's going to be that long. Um, But this was really fucking excellent. I mean, I... There have been great matches in ECW that almost feel like matches that were imported from another world in that they were just like, they're just matches that is almost like a cinema that shows you only American movies and then all of a sudden it shows you a British film that's completely out of step with everything else. This might be the best ECW match that felt in step with what ECW is putting on. 
in that it didn't feel like a match where they just put two overseas stars together and just wowed people. It was a match that felt like it, it pulled from that overseas electric style and it felt like it pulled from that ECW hardcore brawling style and it put them together and we got this. And it didn't feel overly brawly. They got a lot in without it feeling like they were rushing, without it feeling like they were no-selling, without it feeling like they were trying to do, you know, trying to pack too much in. It had, the balance was almost perfect and that really helped when we got down the line. There was the right balance of selling. There was the right balance of weapons. There was enough where it felt special but not too much where you felt drowned out. And above all else, the action was fucking excellent. And that's the, that's the big takeaway. This was fantastic. As I said, I think there have been better matches in ECW. I would, I would say that in that I think if we're just gonna, if we're gonna take wrestling matches as a whole, there are matches from last year involving guys that were quote unquote imports that I would put on a higher pedestal than this. But Dale, I, I don't know that quote unquote two of ECW's own, I don't know if that's a fair way of describing it, two guys that perhaps haven't earned notoriety elsewhere before arriving. I don't know there's been a better match in ECW under that criteria. It's a pretty stiff argument to go against. Um, we see these guys come in, the, the obvious catalyst that me and you always get back to is the the August 94 NWA tournament when these guys come in and you think, who the hell is this? And then you watch like 10, 15 minutes and it's like, yeah, fair play. Um, it's how long they can keep them. For me, um, we've kind of made a couple of cinematic um, comparisons in this one where it's, whether it's Devon coming in as this kind of Jules Winfield character or if it's you talking about the, the kind of cinematic aspect of just sitting here and then seeing something different. This was like, as you say, combining the, it was almost like the kind of Japanese action that you'd see in, in foreign cinema, but then combining it with storytelling for Americanization. It was just, it was like the meeting of two worlds and you've said that, some of these kind of matches are otherworldly. This is, you, you used a phrase there, quintessentially ECW. If Did somebody, I? I think you said that, I might have made that up. But, this is, if you didn't, I'm taking it. This okay. is quintessentially ECW. If, if somebody, if somebody used to watch, I don't know, they used to watch Hulk Hogan and WWF in the 1980s, and they missed that. They used to watch, Steamboat and Flair in NWA in the 1980s, they missed that. EC, what's, what's ECW? Is that, I, I don't know what that is. You would sit them down, you would show them that, and it would explain it. You wouldn't need to say anything, you wouldn't need to build up, it's wrestling, but it feels like the 90s. And we've seen so many allusions to that with, with New York's new generation. With Sting being the man to take WCW into the 90s, which came in like fucking 1994. But this was 90s. This was, this felt real. It felt cool. It felt modern. It felt, yeah, fresh. It was, it's just, this is, this is what we do. That shit for. This is why folk go to see wrestling. This is why folk, willingly put their bodies in the line for this shit. It's it's not something fancy, it's not something that's that's it's been about as long as the house, this shit, but 
they just dragged it into a new generation and long, long may it continue. I hope we see them in this stage. I hope we do see them in a bigger stage someday, but fuck it. Let me, let me have them in this smaller arena for a wee while because I can get used to this and especially when you see the, the absolute mountain of shit that this was dragging up and putting on its shoulders. It was just brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of hard to put it into words about how I actually feel when this match came along in this particular show because, like I said before, it's, it's everything that this promotion wants to be. It's everything this promotion should be. But why are they so, they're so like short-sighted. They've got, They've got the potential to have... I mean, Tommy Dreamer and Raven could easily do something like this, but no, we have to have an 18-month feud where... Uh, just... Whoa, I don't know that Tommy Dreamer and Raven <laughs> having this kind well, of no, match. No, they couldn't have... But they could have this type of match. They wouldn't have to do, like... Um... They they could have a match that felt like it mattered. Yes. I want to see a Tommy Dreamer springboard, that's how you would, so... <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say they would need to... They, wouldn't, they would copy all those same spots... But what I mean is that everything about this match that is quintessentially ECW could easily be given to other guys to work on and say, look, this is what ECW is about. Look at the reaction that this match got compared to all the other shit in this show. Right, lads, what we need to do is everyone needs to sort of, like, not copy this, because, like I said, nobody wants to see Tommy Dreamer doing springboard moonsaults. Don't, don't give Tommy Dreamer ideas, because he'll try it. He'll do it from the yeah, he'll do it from the Eagles' nest or something, something. But just look at that match and then off you go. That's it. Yeah. Um. There is one thing I'll say. Starcade 1993 was a shit show, but the main event stood out more because everything else on the card didn't really matter. I don't think this was planned. In fact, I'd, I'd be willing to bet everything I own that it wasn't planned like this. But... When everything else on the show is just so forgettable, so boring, you don't half like that's the thing. Like I, you, you, I could have been at this show, analyse everything like I am here and saying, look, people might be enjoying this weird white brawl stuff, but it's not particularly innovative. And yet I still think I go, but fuck me, like that—that's the I, I come up with a positive feeling from this show because of this match. And I kind of feel like at the end of the year, when we're talking about the best matches of the year, or talking about ECW in general, we won't mention this show, but we will mention this match. And there might be that, or maybe I'm just giving them way too much credit for a great match and otherwise awful show. Who knows? Tommy Dreamer! 
jacking you. She was also jacking Tommy Dreamer. Tommy Dreamer was as big a sucker as you were, Raven. Night playing with your head, <laughs> no pun intended. Playing with Tommy Dreamer's head. <laughs> All the while, she had both of you wrapped around her finger like big fat suckers. Raven, I don't care if this hurts you, Raven. I don't you Tommy because I promised the world that tonight the truth would be told shut up what are you talking about I'll drop you right now huh Tommy you can blast me all you want Mr. Hardcore because if you can't take the truth you ain't hardcore Tommy Dreamer, when we were driving down the road, sucking down cold beers, and you were crying, franchise, why won't Beulah take the test? Why can't I see the test? It's not because of any other reason, but she was not pregnant. Shane Douglas is on the mic. He asks if we're ready to see history repeat itself. He's out here with Kimona. Kieran will be pleased to know they're now just calling her Kimona. Douglas says when Beulah was cheating on Raven, she was cheating on Tommy too. She went night after night playing with your head. No pun intended. Raven is just chilling in the corner of the ring. Here's Dreamer. He threatens to drop Douglas. Douglas says if he can't talk the truth, then he ain't... He can't take the truth, sorry. Then he ain't hardcore. Douglas then says Beulah wasn't pregnant. Who is it? Dreamer asks. It's not a heed, Tommy. Kimona grabs the mic. It's me! Out comes Beulah. Steve starts kissing Kimona and they fall onto the mat. Trina picks him up by the hair, then says, I'll take them both. I'm hardcore. Before kissing each of them and then both of them at the same time. Kieran. Well, this lesbian. Oh, God. It just, <laughs> I'm lost. For, I'm just lost for words with this shit because I'm like, I'm begging, here I am when I'm Bob, right? I'm begging for, like, stories. And then when I do get a story, it's like Jerry Springer bollocks. And I just, no, just no. I don't care. I just don't care. I mean, they might be pushing some boundaries here. I don't know how liberal Philadelphia is with this type of thing. I mean, the crowd could have really turned on this. But just for me, no. Sorry. Del? I like that. Not just from the obvious point of view, but um, <laughs> I like that. Just let um, that comment linger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like that. Um, 
it was it was fucking ridiculous. Let's be frank about it, but it worked. And I don't know what it was. It's I I, I am a Shane Douglas fan. Any any time he's in the ring, I like him. I've missed him in Philly. Um, I, I still have a grudge to bear with the full Federation debacle, but that's past us. Um, he's back. He's king of the mountain. Maybe not with the belt, but it's it worked for me. It, it, it was just ECW. It's like they do shit that no one else does, and it, it is ridiculous sometimes. I mean, you see, you see Cactus Jack sitting backstage talking about his uncle Willie and fighting a war in Japan. It, it, it doesn't mean anything, but you watch it and it does. Um, I'm not going to turn this into the, oh, this is like the Godfather Part 2, or this was this was like watching Technicolor for the first time, it wasn't it? It was, it was just a, a story, but it worked, and it's, it's things like, it's just different, Bob. It's how many, t- I've said it before in this, in this show, you could sit with a match report and just enter Wrestler A, Wrestler B, same report, half a dozen matches in the one show, it was different. It's not going to set the world on fire. It's it's cool to see something that's new. I've never seen any last in a wrestling ring before. Um, it is a bit kind of, I don't know whether it's worrying or stimulating that we might see the old uh, one-upsmanship and maybe see a three-way dance next month with Francine. We can but hope. But it's it's different and it's cool and it's fair play to them. They've done it. They had the balls to do it. Ironically, we are with more ovaries than balls, but I liked it. Del, who am I supposed to hate in this angle? Ah, uh, that's, that's another story. Uh, who, who am I supposed to like? Because it all kind of played out and I kind of went, well, you were, hmm. you were quote unquote pushing boundaries, fair enough. But what did it matter? Like, it, well, you've got Kimona, she's cheating on Raven, cheating on Tommy, but then it's a girl, does that mean it's Better, uh, it's it's this blur in the line, and um, this this company's pretty this company's pretty consistent with that, and it's sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. But you're in a match here where you've got Ravens the champion, so he's the good guy, so he's got the gold, but then he's the bad guy because yeah. he's like alternative and quiet and brooding. We spent the first three months of this year with Tommy Dreamer's modus operandi being protect my woman, protect my baby at all costs. Mm. We come to this show, Shane Douglas says Beulah was never pregnant and Tommy Dreamer doesn't seem to give a fuck one bit. Yeah. um, That's the thing. Like, Is it a Shane the bad guy for bringing this out or a Shane the good guy because he's he's brought the truth, that's a good thing, but then Tommy doesn't react to it, and then he just takes, I mean, Beulah's, Beulah's having it away with Shane Douglas, does he go to the back with Shane Douglas, and they have a, a triple dance in the blocker room, I don't think so, but then he wants to kill Raven, but Raven's sat in the corner, he could quite easily go over there and kick the living shit out of him, doesn't he? He doesn't kind of, Harass Beulah in any way for lying to him for these months and end. It's very, very confusing if you get into that, but wrestling logic, Bob, wrestling logic. I suppose, I suppose. We move on to the main event. It's Shane Douglas uh, against Raven, uh, sorry, Shane Douglas, yeah, 
Oh, Commander Gombos, right? Shane Douglas versus Raven with Steve Richards and the Blue Mini for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. Raven steals and look 100%. Fans rag on Richards' headgear. Raven runs into a Douglas knee. Fans start chanting, Stevie swallows. Douglas shoves Raven into the garrow before hitting a flip dive to the outside and whipping Raven into hard into the rail and then again. We get an exchange of sleeper holes. Raven jumps on Douglas' shoulders, but Douglas runs into the ropes and sends Raven crashing over the top to the floor. Douglas throws himself over the, off the top onto Raven in the fans. He then hits him with a walking stick. We get into the bleachers. Douglas goes after Raven with a cheese grater. We're now by the eagle's nest. They actually go outside. There's no camera to follow them, so Styles just starts inventing things he thinks is happening. Back in the ring, Douglas pile drives Raven. Brian Lee tries to get involved. Dreamer deals with him. Douglas hits a belly-to-belly and Raven kicks out after the ref is distracted by the brawl. Back comes Dreamer. Douglas belly-to-bellies him. Dreamer and Douglas start brawling. A load of people are brawling to the back. Joe Styles takes great pride in, in be- it being one fall to a positive finish. He does say it. There we go. Was it finished, Bob? <laughs> before ripping on Nitro. Raven almost takes it with a roll-up. Douglas kicks out and drops Raven off the top rope. Raven blocks a super kick and hits an axe handle off the top. He then puts Douglas on the top. Douglas blocks a super kick and throws him off. Douglas hits a high cross body, but Raven th- rolls through and almost takes it. Douglas locks in the figure four. Meany gets to the top, goes for a moonsault. Douglas moves out of the way, but has to release the hold. Richards then levels Douglas with a Stevie kick, but Douglas kicks out. Remember, then, remember when this wasn't Nitro, Joey? Douglas hits a DVT on Raven, but Raven kicks out. Douglas locks in a figure four, one of the Bruce brothers, on one of the Bruce brothers, sorry. Douglas hit deals with the Harris brother, but Raven hits Douglas with a boot and retains the title. Remember, Joey, this isn't like Nitro at all. Del. Hmm. It's, um, I think we're back to the, the, um, same old again. Um, we've had the, the different story. We've had the, the angle at the start of the match. We've had the, the Sabu Rob Van Dam match, but then it was, it was a bit of a damp squib at the end. Um, can't help but feel the crowd were a wee bit trained out with the Sabu Rob Van Dam match. The story was maybe a wee bit much, but then when you end it with a guy that's clearly in pain, and then, I, I don't know, it was, they talk about the art of a good promo for it goes for a, a 40, a 9, and then it drops down to a 2 at the end. It's like, I, I don't know, it's, it's, the best thing about Sabu Van Damme for me was the crescendo. This just didn't end the, the show with any kind of fire for me. Kieran? Yeah, the, the notes is basically similar to what, it's funny that Dell said that because it is, where's the exclamation mark? We've had, a, we've had, we've gone from one match which was one big exclamation mark. And then there's this, and I thought, all right, I'll give him benefit of the doubt, it's for the belt. Let's sort of have a meander around outside, you know, let's have another arena-wide brawl. And I'm thinking, all the time I'm thinking, well, they've got plenty of time left. There's, this match is obviously going to go, so I think it went sort of 15, 15 odd minutes. Um, so I'm thinking there's going to be some sort of payoff at the end, but there was nothing. So in the end, what are we left with, Bob? We're left with an arena-wide brawl that we've had all night, yet this... This one happened to be for a belt. And what's even worse, it's your most important belt and you can't even be bothered to have anything meaningful happen at the end. Not send them home happy, it's sort of just send them home after watching another brawl. 
So, I was, again, I was just pretty bored. Yeah. Um, it comes back to, did it, did it matter? Like, did, did any, you know, did any of the action matter? Did, you know, did, did any of the interference matter? Were there any repercussions for the interference? Isn't wrestling storytelling 101 with heels and baby faces that if you go on a run of heels winning a series of matches, eventually you go, right, let, we're gonna, we're gonna make sure there's no interference in this case so that the, the good guy, in this case Douglas of all, of all people, can get a fair shot at the title. And yet in ECW, they're not doing that. In ECW, it's acceptable for Raven to protect the championship just by having a load of cronies. And, and this is, this is their, this is their big title. And it's like, there's no consequences here. And then I've got, I've got Joey Styles on commentary, one fucking making up shit when they go outside, like he knows that what's really going pissed, on. Yeah, that really pissed me off. Like, and then ragging on Nitro, like, I remember when Shane Douglas ragged on WCW, it felt like he was making points that made sense. Now Joey Styles is just taking pots at WCW when, if anything, they're doing stuff that's as bad, if not worse, in terms of continuity, in terms of storytelling, in terms of credibility. Imagine, imagine ripping on Nitro when you pulled out basically like every combination of every Nitro match finish you could imagine. Imagine doing that and thinking, yeah, this is gonna work. Like, I, and the match wasn't very good. It was another arena-wide brawl. Douglas is trying, but I, I don't know whether, I don't know whether it's just because Douglas is wrestling Raven, who I don't get the feeling even a fully fit Raven is the greatest worker in the world. But maybe Douglas thinks, shit, I'm wrestling Raven, who's at about 60%. I've got to pull out some stops here to make this match be anything more than mediocre. But it doesn't fit Douglas to be throwing himself around because it's not getting the job done. And while it's not getting the job done, stop doing it, Shane. Stick to your strengths. Mm. But it's just, Dale, none of it mattered. That's what it's kind of what I kind of felt like. None of it, it mattered. It just gets back to it again. I mean, we've said it how many times. The the finishes don't matter. This is in a position where the the world title seemingly didn't matter. Um, aye, you can't really say much more. That is all. That is all wrestling is. You want stuff to matter. It's like when we spoke earlier on about the the kind of pan, like the, just the absolute labyrinth of kind of talking about shoot fights and a and a wrestling show. It's like you want things to to mean something and they actually mean the right things. And it's just like I don't know. It's Shane Douglas. I'm a great fan. I think the Raven character's really good. There is the obvious kind of questions that you raise about and ring quality. We've even said it before. Douglas is, Douglas is proficient. I would never really go much above that. Um, when you put him in a ring where it's a guy that's pretty much got one foot, um, it's, I don't know, it's, it is just come back to matter and you want titles to mean some, you want results to mean some, you want feuds to mean some. And we've, we've just witnessed a show that never really done anything apart from the couple of, the couple of standout moments, whether it's just seeing, seeing a lesbian angle in wrestling for the first time, whether it's seeing a, an amazing athletic contest between two, two potential superstars of the future. Apart from that, just paint the numbers for me. What is it going to take?
take to defeat Raven and all those goons behind him. It's the only belt Zoe Styles has speaking of the man that Shawn Michaels was too much to get in the ring with. That is the only belt that means anything to me. Those people up there, those people, every single person in this building that's hardcore knows that I eat, drink, sleep, and breathe the ECW World Heavyweight title. There's no other belt that means in this entire world, Zoe Styles. And we get to this post-match angle. After the match, Douglas gets some time to speak. What is it going to take to defeat Raven and all of those goons? Douglas takes a shot at Shawn Michaels, then says tonight was supposed to be his night. Out comes Two Cold Scorpio. Scorpio says he worked to make the TV title what it is today. Did he? Well, I suppose he did, but I don't know what TV title it is today. Anyway, uh, Douglas says he doesn't want the belt before blindsiding Scorpio with an attack. Sandman comes out and eats a belly-to-belly. Douglas takes a cane and starts caning Scorpio. Sandman jumps in on top of Scorpio to protect him, but Sandman takes a few shots of his own before Douglas pile-drives Scorpio on top of the belt. Um, Kieran, I, I, I guess the actual, the actual post-match angle perhaps wasn't so bad. I think my biggest qualm is, is what the post-match angle was signifying, which was, we're not going to get Shane Douglas in a fair fight with Raven. We've done Shane Douglas versus Raven and headlining a few shows. We don't want to take the title off of Raven, so we're just going to move Douglas into another program. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's going to play differently. But, but that's what it felt like to me. And, that to me is probably the my biggest problem with everything on this show was that if you're going to have Douglas for a few months chasing Raven for the title, getting screwed out of every opportunity, it makes no fucking sense in the world for him to just move on to Two Cold Scorpio. It, because everything happened that match, you would think, well, it's obviously that they're going to carry on, and then this happened. I'm like, so Tommy Dream and Raven get how long to fight each other? 
Then we get somebody who's a bit different, like Shane Douglas, who isn't your typical quote-unquote, you know, sort of ECW guy. He's something a bit different to sort of a dreamer. But then he's a one-and-done against Raven, and now he's going after this belt. And I was, I was, I was like, okay, but just bizarre. Just it came out. I did not did not expect this at all. I honestly thought we were going to get, you know, sort of. Raven and Douglas for at least a few moments. Dull? Just comes back to the same three words, Bob, did it matter? Um, again, you can see the, the meaning behind it, and I mean, God love them for trying to send out Scorpio there and build up this TV title, but when it's, when it's coming in the back of a world title defence that just kind of peters out, I would be more worried about the world title not being over instead of trying to build up the TV. And um, the world title's never been over. Really? Much. I mean, like, that, when, that's what's that, the biggest point of the world title in ECW? Probably the minute the, where it came into inception. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was that. Ever since I mean, do they, it's do, been... Do they, do they, do, sorry, Dale. No, go on, Karen, what do was they, the question? Do they, do, I mean, they hardly... Just think about it. They, they hardly really ever reference the belt as... Again, does it mean anything? The belt should mean something, but it's hardly ever referenced. And it never really feels like anyone's on a journey towards the belt. You never really get the feeling that, like, there's guys working their way up. Scorpio talks about the TV title. It's like... But but, but I watched that and thought, but Scorpio, you've held the TV title for so long, four times as as well as that. Why don't you want the shot of the world title? Surely the world champion in ECW... You know, lineage, whatever, in, EC, in the ECW world, surely the world title means more prestige and more money, doesn't it? Dell? Yeah. And again, did it matter? Um, you, I always heart back when it's talking about a TV title, the, the one that jumps out to me is, um, Stunning Steve in kind of 91, 92 in WCW, where it's like, it's with the, the commentary team as you turn on your TV, WCW's on you see Steve Austin he is the champion of the yeah. TV he's he's going to be the guy that you see he's going to be the guy that's the worker a TV title is essentially what the Intercontinental means in WWF and it's it's the worker belt it's it's the belt that you're going to see your staff is in a steamboat way it's the, it's the belt that you're going to see listen, this is who we are earmarking for the future and it does mean something, but it, they kind of get, it's almost as if they, they've got too many eggs in too many baskets. And they just, I don't know, as, as you say, you want to see a journey, whether it's a... Like a, I was just trying to think of, I mean, Mikey Whitrex the last time I saw mm-hmm. somebody like trying to work his way up. And yeah. like I said, I actually got behind Mikey because of that. And again, because he was on a journey, and it meant yeah. something. And he was he was trying to achieve something. He was fighting against the world. He was the underdog. He was the he was the wee boy that used to do the do the moonsaults before he strapped in the ring after the lights went down. He was he was something that built himself up. And it's the same as you want to see with a TV champion. And as you say, Bob, but does it mean anything when he's had that that many times and for that long that he just wants to cement his legacy as is that that belt? I mean, that belt shouldn't define define him. He should be putting his name into the legacy to define that define that belt. And when you're going to throw out names like Terry Funk, and 
as you say, I mean, what does the world title then mean if if Douglas is just going to focus on that? What does that then mean for Raven and Tommy Dreamer? It's just there's too many. It's it's almost as if it's kind of running around in circles. The booking, whether it's the the gangsters and the eliminators right at the top of the show, having the the one upsmanship with the two brawls, and then it disappears. It's the Tommy Dave, uh, Tommy Raven feud where it, it kind of simmers along for 18 months, kind of goes off the boil, still simmers away and doesn't show any signs of coming at a boiling point again. It's, it's Shane Douglas in his quest to get the world title. He gets one shot, he doesn't do it, and then he just moves on to a lesser belt. It's, it's just make us, make us believe it. Make us, make us feel something. Make us, just make us something. give a shit. Just make us give a shit. Basically. And that's all we need, and it's just, this has been a, again, same as you, Bob, I wasn't coming into this as a, as a, an overly bad show, I wouldn't say it was brilliant, but just the more we went on, it's like, just give us a reason to care. That's all we need, is give us a reason to care, a reason to buy next month's tape, a reason to go back to the arena, a reason to come out the show and think, fuck it, I'm going to buy a t-shirt because I want this company to have money and I want to see them in a bigger stage with bigger lights and bigger cameras and bigger TV audiences. They just need to make us care. I'd like to formally apologise for being so negative <laughs> on no, this entire don't. show. because, Well, no, because I feel like someone would listen to this review and then watch the show and go, well, it may not have been right. great. Yeah, mm. I, like I feel like you watch that show and you go... They just, like, this may end up being the longest show we've ever done. We haven't finished yet. We're getting there. And 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 there are some good things on this show, even outside of Sabu and Rob Van Dam. But I think it's more, when you watch the amount of shows, when Kieran's done a fair number of ECW shows now, Dale, mm. you've been on it, you know, most of the time the last yeah, 18 well months. And I, I've watched every ECW show, TV, and certainly since we've been doing these formal kind of live event reviews for as long as I can remember. When I look, when you look at it like that, I think a lot of the stuff that might be seen as negatives to new people just to us are just there. The, sorry, positives to new people just to us is there. Like the brawling, it, it's just there. Like, but I think it's more that when we, when, when the halcyon days of ECW, when we talk about the best bits of ECW, I don't know where it is in the list, but I'd be willing to bet that the brawling isn't in the top five. And honestly, I'd be willing to bet the in-ring action isn't necessarily first. I think, you know, you might put in-ring action third behind promos and the strength of their storytelling. And this month, they were, they were wide of the mark on all three of those things. All three of them fell way down, with the exception of Rob Van Dam and Sabu. All three of them fell way down. We end on a slightly positive note, which is, as much as I said earlier about Sandman coming to Tommy Dreamer's aid, perhaps didn't make sense. Dal, I quite like Sandman jumping to the aid of Two Cold Scorpio. They need to explain that properly, but I will give them time to do that. I like that they're evolving the Sandman character into some, you know, Two Cold Scorpio is a guy that's had his back for a while, so it made a lot of sense, but I like that they're showing us Sandman has a heart. It's an interesting angle, and especially when you've got the in, the in-ring, <laughs> the in-ring spectaculars of, uh, a Jim Fullerton. It's, it's very, very easy to kind of just dismiss him as a, as a drunkard, as somebody that smokes, as a womanizer, whether it's women or Missy High, he's out there where he's just an entrance, he's just a theme song. 
but it's these kind of things where you see, I mean, ECW as we came to know it, did just come out of the ashes of a Phoenix Rising, and you kind of get where we've just kind of trolled the depths of the, the just misery for the last couple of years, and there is positives, whether it's a Sabu Rob Van Dam match, whether it's a, a lesbian angle that just kind of breaks down a barrier that's going to be coming in in the, the next few years, and a, a kind of more... A more modern, kind of well-received, wider spectacle, I would like to think, because things like this do make a difference to mainstream society. And it's, we do get negative sometimes, but it just shows that we do, we do care, and we do give a shit to say what Kieran said earlier. It's, we want a reason to, to believe in it, and whether it's just a, showing a different side to a character, like a Sandman, whether it's, kind of just, finding, finding the, the X factor that ECW used to have because as we heard back to earlier on with the roster for last year when you lose guys it does make a difference you're not going to have that that mid-card show stealer you're not going to have a Cactus promo or a Douglas promo you're not going to have a a story like a Singapore Kane match for the first time or even like it's just you need to have these lulls it's like a good show you can't go out and have six Sabu Van Dam matches in a card because the crowd's going to pay attention to the first one and a half and then get overexposed to it and you want to, you want to just have these kind of peaks and troughs because we know that the that the next peak is going to come um, and it has been a bit of a dark month for the show it's it's been a pretty lacklustre show there's not been any discernible promos that I would really pick out apart from obviously New Jack um, apart from that, there's, there's not been much. You get the odd nugget with a New Jack promo or a, a Sabu match or a story. It's just, we've, I think we've almost spoiled ourselves with what we have seen in the last couple of years where yeah. you get these dark points and you just, we know that we're going to get out the other side of it. It's just, we really want them to do it because it, it is the company that's the, it's the little engine that could and we want to, we want to make sure that they get there and, we just know that they can do better, I think, is the biggest point, Bob. I might get Craig, Rory and Chris to tape a we've never seen ECW before review <laughs> of this show, just to, <laughs> just to give people something different. Uh, Kieran, your overall thoughts on this show at a score any out of 10? All right. Okay. So I like the beginning and the start, and I like, where the, I like the new Jack. I love the gangsters. I like the interplay with the Eliminators. I like that. The Van Damme match was like 10 out of 10. Um, there's not much else. A lot of it was just too much of the same old, same old. I fully expect them to pull it round. I don't ex- sort of expect the same thing next month, but if you're asking me to score the show, well, I'm going to have to go with... I'm going to have to go for 4 out of 10. Del? Um, with a few notable exceptions, I'd say the overall show was a 3, but with the New Jack stuff... With the Sabu Van Damme match, I would feel, I would feel harsh if I was giving it any less than a five. I'm gonna give it a five overall. I think that the full show was a three, if I'm honest about it, but there is positives here. There's good characters, there's potential for new stories, there's existing feuds that, if I'm being honest, do need to come to a crescendo in the near future. You've got Taz out there with Fonzie as a good team. 
I'm going to give it an overall five. If not for the Sabu Van Dam match, then just for JT Smith being on the show. Yeah, um, we've we've never been as negative on a show before on this show, and yet I'm with you, Dell, in giving it a five. Um, I think we're negative on this show for two reasons. One, because there's a lot to be negative about, and giving it fours and fives is down to, one, an outstanding Rob Van Dam Sabu match, which, you know, any, any show with that match on cannot be that bad. Um, two, in that at times they were threatening to tell some really good stories. At times they threatened to tell something good with the gangsters, the eliminators. At times they threatened to tell something good with, uh, with Sandman. And as an individual show, and to an extent, you know, we never let show, we never say, WrestleMania 10 was a, a 9 out of 10 show, therefore I'm going to give King of the Ring an 8 out of 10 just because it came off the back of what came before. We never rate a show based on what came before. We've largely been negative on this show because of what has come before and what it says about their storytelling and what it says going forward. This in itself is not a horrendous show. We've been negative on it for two reasons. One, because there are some fault lines appearing. Um, and they need to be patched up. I think the biggest thing about all of this is that we review WCW shows, and we're we're willing to overlook a lot of, a lot of negatives just because it's WCW, and because making a note of it really doesn't matter. There's no point in complaining about the over the top rope rule anymore. It's just part of the furniture. Don't get yourself worked up about it. With ECW, we hold them to a higher standard. We expect more and we've been delivered more in the past. So when it doesn't come off and when they, when they get things as wrong as they have done on parts of this show, we feel that there's a more emotive reaction because you feel like ECW delivers more. There's also a more emotive reaction because Joey Styles is sat on commentary fucking ribbing WCW while he's, his, his promotion are putting on a product that is every bit, has every bit the same faults WCW has. This ain't a bad show, but there are a lot of bad signs coming out of this show. And that's why I think we've been so down. And also because we care. As I say, next month I might bring on two guys that have never seen it before. We'll review the same level of show and they'll fucking love it. Oh, that... yeah, we're sacked. We're sacked now. <laughs> Maybe. That sounds made too negative. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, we will move on with the rest of the TV for the month. Okay, a couple of technical issues. We've, we've lost Kieran for the rest of the show, unless we can get him back on. Uh, but fortunately, not a lot to discuss. Uh, we start on Hardcore TV on April 23rd with a nice recap montage showing us some of the chapters in the Dreaming and Raver storyline. Joey Styles praises the quality of the action from Hostile City Showdown. Thank you, Joey. And after a rerun of Supernova vs. Bracano and a subsequent brawl, we join Little Guido and JT Smith at a late night diner. Guido is moaning about a cheese steak. Smith says he's disrespecting the establishment. Apparently that counts as character development. I, I suppose it does. Mm. After the Dreamer and Brian Lee match, we a brief musical montage. Steve Richards and the Blue Mini are dicking about by the lift. The lift opens and out comes Cactus Jack. He asks for Titan Towers. Richards says it's on the eighth floor. Cactus gets back in the lift and disappears appears i guess the idea being that there was no way we could let cactus jack sign off with such a soppy segment we end the show with douglas dreamer kimono and beulah segment where we do it until it cuts off at the appropriate moment fortunately if you're watching all of this back you can go straight on to the following start of the next show and see how that played out 
We then see Douglas and Raven from Hostile City Showdown. Styles says Douglas received a scratch cornea wrestling Rob Van down the night before, although Styles says that it may not have been accidental. He then says that you'll be able to see the Van Dam and Sabu match on next week's show. So you listen to this after May the 6th. I would go out of my way to see it. New Jack and Mustafa cut a promo in the streets. New Jack says they need to bring the belts next time. And he says next time they're driving, they're going to end up in the hood. And when they do, he's going to drag them out of their cars. He then says this is violence for the sake of violence. I'm not quite sure about the logic of them automatically ending up driving into the hood. <laughs> there we go. We, we join Saturn and Cronus in their locker room. Saturn takes out a title belt and finds it has an X spray painted across the front. He says any time. Any pace, any place, sorry. Joe Styles invites Brian Pillman to return to Hardcore TV once he's recovering to update us on his status. We rewatch Taz versus Dangerous Devon Storm before finishing on the usual musical montage. Tommy says Raven hasn't got any pussy anymore. Hold the upper cat while he does it. Blue Meanie and Richards imitate Diesel and Shawn Michaels. We join New Jack and Mustafa leaving the building. They get blindsided. Then Saturn and Cronus play paid X's across their backs and leave them playing. Uh, Del, very quick thoughts at the end of the show. Um, I felt they've swung and missed a couple of times with New Jack and Mustafa and the Eliminators. This was a big hit, I think. Totally. Um, it feels real... It feels as if there's a bit of passion in there. We got a bit passionate, but maybe in a bit of a negative way. You could possibly argue with that hostile city showdown takeover, but this is what we this is what we want for wrestling. We want fucking and fucking and bitch ass from shit and New Jack just going mental. The fans have took to him. They've really turned a corner, and it, it's it's went into legit storytelling. As well, with, with the Eliminators, they've got a move that's over. They've got two tag teams that have got that dynamic, as you said earlier on, with the one talker and the one, the one doer. Um, the two of them just play off each other really well. The, the nice wee touches with the tags, and it just works. And it's, it's something that I think they can definitely get their teeth into, and it's working. Yeah, um, they, they've tried a lot with this stuff. They're really trying to make this program stand out more than your average tag team stuff. This was storytelling that was nuanced enough where they achieved that. Um, and in a month where I don't think they've hit many ticks, hit tick many boxes this month in terms of storytelling, uh, they got one right. And that will bring to an end this month's show. Yes, firstly, um, we did take this end of this show um, and then I got offline and lost, couldn't find it in my system, it wasn't there um, so, but we unfortunately it was only about the last seven or eight minutes, so that's fine, Kieran uh, was with us but um, I haven't been able to relocate him since the end of that bit uh, you can find him on Twitter at JotenThrash666, a big thank you to him joining this much show uh, Del, <laughs> this this show wasn't meant to be this negative, I don't know quite what happened. It was the meant to be this negative but it, as you say, we've alluded to it throughout the show, it just shows that we care um, there's positives in this shit if you want to look hard enough to find them, it's not been a stellar month dare I say, we might have another couple of black spots in the future but we do love this and and we want it to be better. We know they can do better, and we just want to urge them on. So Del, I believe you, in it. You can be found on Twitter. I can, Bob. It's Dell underscore Muir. Excellent. Big thank you to Dell for joining me this month. Uh, yeah, two other volumes this month. Volume one, In Your House 7, WWF stuff, a lot of interesting look. We look at Bret Hart's interview from Raw, the talk about Cactus Jack, the debut of Mankind on Raw, uh, along with... 
quite possibly the best WWF match we've covered in Shawn Michaels versus Diesel. Volume 2 is your WCW action. No pay-per-view this month. Um, but we do get to instead take a closer look at each of the individual nitros. Uh, and this has been Volume 3. I did not expect us to go this long, but there we go. That's what happens when I bring Dell and Kieran on. I should know better by now. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at BoyBamba. You can find all of the information you need on the website. The website these days, if you've heard me plug the website before, maybe visit it gone there's not a lot here there's a lot there now there's a lot of content it's a, it's structured a little bit better there's also all of our back episodes now we've done 71 i think so if you're just joining the show new and you want to go back and hear some of the earlier kind of less i don't want to say polished i don't even know this show is polished even at this stage but less polished even than now shows you can find us on there uh you can find links to rsf subscriptions if you want to upload us into your podcasting app you can also find our itunes link if you are on itunes do leave us a rating and a review those things always help um my voice was going when we recorded this ending the first time so it's very croaky now. I hope this saves. Um, I've been Bob Bam, but this has been the ECW edition of the April 1996 Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>